Thanks for tuning in to this month's Cinematic Schematic. In order to keep this programming, we need your help. That's right, if you're listening, we need you. If you enjoyed this ad-free programming of the Cinematic Schematic, please support the show by subscribing to the podcast and giving us a rating and review on Apple Podcast. We'd also like to keep talking movies with you on our social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Enjoy the show! and welcome to the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of thecinematropolis.com. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and in today's program, we'll be wrapping up our January theme of prestige films, past and present. First, Lauren Chapman, Alexandra Bohannon, Zachary Burns, and myself will react to the 2018 Oscar nominations. Tiffany Haddish was was the Melissa McCarthy of Bridesmaids yes. years mm-hmm. ago. Yes. I've, I, that would have made a little bit more sense to me, but... I don't know. I just felt like Mary J. Blodge in Mudbound was the least interesting thing about that film. And later, Alexandra Bohannon and I will dissect the film scores from some of the most prestigious films in cinema history. So in selecting the films uh, for this episode of Soundtrack, I I struggled with the concept of prestige picture uh, for a really long time because, you know, you go back to the past and you think about, oh, well... You're like, okay, Casablanca. Well, that's more of a classic than a prestige picture. All of this is coming to you on the Cinematic Schematic next. And welcome to the special edition of the Cinematic Schematic. I'm your host and the voice of the Cinematic Schematic, Caleb Masters. And this month, we have you, we have been celebrating all sorts of prestige films. We talked Crash on a podcast and in an essay. We talked about The Apartment and the oft-forgotten film from David Cronenberg's Dead Ringers. So it's been a month of prestige, prestige, prestige. And we've got to round it all off by talking about this year's 2018 Oscar nominations. That's right, the 90th Academy Awards were announced last week. So today we'll be giving you initial reactions to this year's nominees with a full-blown prediction show coming uh, in the week leading up to the awards. Uh, and I'm joined by three of the Cinematropolis's finest contributors. First and foremost across the table from me is the co-host of Silver Screen Soliloquies and contributor here at the Cinematropolis, Mr. Laron Chapman. Laron, are you ready? I, I don't think they're ready. <laughs> hey, you're born for this day. I was here. born for this day. I will, yeah, I will disintegrate after this this post. <laughs> and returning from last segment, I know it's been so long since you've heard her lovely dulcet tones. Rejoined by the host of Soundtrack. Ms. Alexandra Bohannon, welcome back. Hey, howdy, hey there, Caleb, and delightful listeners out in the ether. Um, Alexandra, host of Soundtrack, and here to talk prestige takes on prestige films. <laughs> Forget hot takes, that's old news. Prestige takes. Prestige takes. When your takes are so good, they're prestige. <laughs> they're so good and pretentious yeah. that they might win an award on the internet someday. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, and lastly, we're joined by the Cinematropolis co-founder and video essayist, Mr. Zachary Burns. Zachary, mm-hmm. welcome to the Cinematic Schematic. Oh, hey, guys. <laughs> I like movies. We all love movies around the table. And as a quick reminder, if you enjoy this segment or any of our other segments here on the Cinematic Schematic today, please help us out by heading on over to Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play, any of those podcast apps, and subscribing, rating, and reviewing, especially if you're an Apple Podcast listener. That is the best way to support the show. Currently, we're ad-free. We don't take dollars, and we don't ask money from you, so one way you could really help us out is by giving us about a minute or less of your time to hop on that app and giving us the review. This year, I think we've been on the edge of our seat a little more because normally it's like, by November, we're like, all right, we already know. We know. It's locked up. It's, it's Lord of the Rings again. again. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, I think Steven Spielberg is going to be nominated for something this year. Yeah. You know, well, oh, wait, he is. Oh, he is. Well, wait, he is. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, you were right. Uh, I think this has been an especially exciting year for, for my viewpoint because I've noticed – uh, and actually, we had a really great piece about this uh, on uh, the cinematropolis.com from one Christopher Schultz, who wrote about Dead Ringers, uh, which is a Cronenberg film, basically writing about how that should have been the best picture winner of the year that Rain Man won, and I think it was 1982. But he, he used that because he, he used that to talk about how the, the Academy is a different ball game now. Moonlight was a huge game changer. We had Oscar So White, Moonlight's a game changer because we have films that are actually issues driven films, uh, low budget films. But I also feel like this year, Interesting We're, films. I don't know. Interesting <laughs> films. I, I, think, I feel like it's a pretty mainstream show this year, right? Like, what do you guys think? For the most part, I mean, I mean, as much as I can tell from any other previous year, um, I mean, maybe except for the year they, you know, installed the 10 nominees. That was probably one where it was like we had like the blind side, District 9. Oh, yeah. A few wonky choices in there. Avatar. Mm-hmm. Avatar. <laughs> <laughs> sure um but yeah so i mean like i mean except for with exception of probably that year where it was like let's just throw anything out there as with this like they're kind of finding their footing with how to you know how to diversify the top the best 10 yeah absolutely well what we're gonna do today we're not gonna hit every category we're gonna hit the big what i'm calling the big nine today what we're not doing live action short you haven't seen all of them. I haven't. You haven't seen them all, Laurent. How about the animated shorts? Have we? Seen- what about uh, foreign language short documentary subject matter? I mean- <laughs> no, I'm just trolling. <laughs> we're not real fans, guys. We're not. Real fans. <laughs> um, so what we're going to do is we're going to start by uh, with these screenplay nominations. Move on into cinematography, animated feature film, supporting actor and actresses, lead actor and actresses, and of course. Best Picture, and maybe talk a little bit about some some specific snubs here at the end of the conversation. Uh, so let's go ahead and just kick things right off. Uh, the screenplay nomination, which is always a, one of my favorite categories, because I do feel like that's where we get things that almost don't make a break anywhere else. And we'll start with adapted screenplay today. So nominations for the 90th Academy Awards for Best Adapted Screenplay include Call Me By Your Name, uh, by James Ivory, The Disaster Artist, by Scott uh, Neustadter. Neustadter and Michael Weber, Logan by Scott Frank, James Mangold, and Michael Green, Molly's Game by Aaron Sorkin, and Mudbound from Virgil Williams and D. Reese. So uh, I like this category quite a bit. 
I do. There's a lot of diversity there. The one I'm probably most happy about in that category is one of my top ten films this year was Molly's Game. I thought that was a killer-ass script. It was. Killer-ass script. Killer-ass movie. Yeah. The editing complimented that script very well. Yeah. Uh, this is Aaron Sorkin's directorial debut, and although he didn't get a Best Director nomination, I do th- feel like it was an especially strong outing for him mm-hmm. overall. Mm-hmm. Alex, Zach, any thoughts? What do you guys uh, think yes. about this category? So I, uh, my category thoughts... Uh, call me by your name. Uh, so I have seen out of this category, oh man, I've actually only seen a piddly three out of five, uh, this, this year, uh, only, only. well, I mean, <laughs> so, oh, well, I thought I hadn't, but okay. So call me by your name. I really want to read because the film itself is, is beautiful, heart breakingly, amazingly amazing. And so necessary. Um, the disaster artist, I have a lot of problems with that movie and I've heard that, uh, like I've, I've I have a friend that's read the book and he drew, he hyped me up so hard. I'm talking to you, Gilly. You hyped me so hard on that, on that, uh, movie that, I mean, we were both disappointed going into it. Um, but I haven't read the book, but I heard the book is much more interesting and, and like, of course, like actually, you know, vaguely accurate to the source material. It just... For me, Disaster Artist itself, its screenplay felt so ingenuine. Um, and Logan, uh, wow, Logan. Uh, the movie that once uh, I learned that it was nominated, I was like, oh, I know Caleb's having a really great day. Uh, <laughs> Jumping ahead, yeah. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm super excited about Logan getting nominated. Uh, and I don't mean to cut you off, so maybe... No, no, this. you're fine. Um, Molly's Game and Mudbound I haven't seen yet. Um, again, there's a lot of movies and uh, not as much time as I would like. But um, overall, I'm fairly satisfied with the adapted screenplay category yeah. itself. I, I don't feel like there's one that I'm like, oh, my God, they didn't put whatever on right. there. You know, Right. right. Yeah, I, I think Alexandria is a great point for me. The standout is the disaster artist. Uh, and I say this, I and I said it on right, top ten post, and I'll say it again. You know, well, I guess it would have been original screenplay. Damn it. I was going to say Brigsby Bear should have been in the slot instead, but no, that's totally an original screenplay. Uh, but I feel like that's a story that gets at all the same stuff, but it doesn't feel disingenuous. Like, mm-hmm. it, it does all the same ideas that I think it articulates much better. But hey, people have already heard me talk about that earlier this hour, so... <laughs> I was never um, sure whether or not the disaster artist was... I mean, obviously, they're paying homage to him. It's supposed to be a loving tribute to him, but the whole time, I honestly felt like they were making fun of him. It, it's a weird line. It's it, a weird line. It's like It felt like a mockery. I understand he was involved in it, so great. So he had to sign the life rights. And, he doesn't care. Yeah. He's yeah. He got to go to the Golden Globes. And, and he'll he gets probably, a butt-ton of money, and his next feature is going to be well-seen by and, everybody. And I'm sure he'll somehow make it to the Oscars too even though the, the James Franco connection is a little shaky right now I'm sure he'll find a way there uh, somehow um, yeah Alexandra I'm real excited about Logan here's why because it's actually an amazing super it, like you know that feeling when the Dark Knight didn't get nominated for anything that I wanted it to this is retribution I'm like finally acknowledgement that a superhero movie that actually deserves it. it's not like a lot of Marvel films that are good but like they're definitely more like blockbustery crowd pleasing Logan's a super awesome great meaningful emotional film uh that's well acted and we'll get to that later but i think that the screenplay is is really excellent it does a on our uh, review i did earlier this year with alexandra actually called it the 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 revisionist superhero movie because in the same way that the revisionist the western looks back on old spaghetti westerns and kind of like asks the question like man what did we get wrong what did we get right what did it all mean i really feel like logan did that for superhero films and specifically 
the character of Wolverine through the X-Men films. Uh, even though technically in continuity, even though the, the continuity doesn't match up, I had the conversation on another podcast recently about the continuity not matching up. That only has the point. It's there. It is a lot of, it's very metatextual for us to reflect on how um, we feel about the character, how we feel about superhero films. Anyway, I think this was definitely uh, a well-deserved nomination. And I'm glad to see the Academy acknowledging that because the thing is if it didn't have superheroes in it i think i still think it would or you know wouldn't have wolverine and professor x i think it would be great i just think including them really takes everything in that script to the next level because it's those characters so yeah i was happy it was a great day it was yeah. a game changer <laughs> for the x-men universe yes yes for sure, sure. Yes. you mean the disney aggregated Gosh. super mecha <laughs> ultra universe hey, hey. not yet <laughs> until we get the spinoff tv show um <laughs> Zach, any thoughts on this category? <laughs> Sorry, as Caleb was having a moment. <laughs> no, I was no, so happy, I... and then you reminded me that, that Disney bought... <laughs> God damn it. I'm so upset about that. Yeah. Anyway, continue. Well, great. Now that we're all angry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, there's some really exciting stuff in this category. Um, definitely, I'm in the same, same, same place as Alex. I haven't seen Molly's Game. I haven't seen Mudbound. Uh, because I don't like movies that start with M. I don't know. Um, <laughs> what do you have against things that have start with M, Zach? I, they're just it's too big of a letter. It's mm. got too many diagonals. Ah, it's just weird. Too many points. It's just an upside down W. I don't like it. <laughs> um, uh, but no, Call Me by Your Name is an amazing freaking movie uh, with a wonderful screenplay. I'm all about that. Um, the Disaster Artist. I enjoyed the movie, uh, but you know. I enjoyed it. That's kind of the end of what I have to say about it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Logan is fantastic. Like, name any other comic book movie that's been nominated for a screenplay for an Oscar. Yeah, like, anything outside the, spec- the the technical Oscars. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Like and, it was, and this is one that was actually worth it, right? Like, it actually no, it deserves totally it, deserves it. Like, if, if I was going to nominate Logan for anything, it would be for that. And so it, it worked out. I guess I'm in in the in the uh, academy. I don't know. Oh yeah, he, he's in. He's That's in. why he's yeah. He's I in. was the only voter. <laughs> well, to me. so that'll take us on reaction. Let's head on over to original screenplay. Now, I tweeted out when I was watching this. I was like, "Oh God, this is a bloodbath. This is unfair." <laughs> I know I'm, this is going to sound ultra millennial, but can we just give them all trophies? Like, yes. I want. <laughs> right? I I at you least take the head. I'll take the arm. That's right. Mm-hmm. Do it. I, at four out of five of these, <laughs> I, four out of five of these, I'm like, God, I want all of them to win so badly. One of them, just like, I mean, it was good. So the nominees for best original screenplay include. The Big Sick from Emily V. Gordon and uh, Kumal Nanjiani. Woo woo. Uh, Get Out from Jordan Peele. Yeah. Yeah. I'm here for it. Hell yeah. Lady Bird by Greta Gerwig. Mm-hmm. Cheers. The Shape of Water by Guillermo del Toro and Vanessa Taylor. Oh my God. I'm so happy. And uh, <laughs> three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Stop stacking the deck, Caleb. Like you don't want you want people to really know how you feel about these. <laughs> I was I was, giving, I was giving a shout out to all of them. In a very in a very and a heavy sigh and a very like a limp shout out to <laughs> three like billboards. The sigh you get every time you have to say and, that whole title and the out billboard loud. movie. <laughs> Okay, so Zach, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to interrupt. I just was like, hey, we should probably tell them what it is just in case they're listening and not reading oh, sure. this. <laughs> they're not following on to a list of Oscar nominees. For um, our, out, our outline? Yeah, <laughs> this is ridiculous. Um, no, I mean, there's some freaking amazing movies uh, in the original screenplay this year. Holy freaking crap. Um, 
The Big Sick is hilarious. Uh, Get Out is terrifying and also sometimes hilarious. Lady Bird is also quite hilarious, but also like hits you in the feels. The Shape of Water is freaking beautiful movie. Holy crap. I mean, Fish Man. (laughs) <laughs> it's, uh, it's Amphibian Man, Zachary. I know, Amphibian but man. Fish Man. <laughs> <laughs> did you... Sorry, guys. Did you see yes. that Fish Man butt? I did. No. I did. Yes, you did. Oh, the, the, bu- oh, the, butt, the butt of the Amphibian Man. Okay. You okay. saw it. Doug Jones. It's a, it was Doug Jones. It's a good butt. butt. Was it's it his real butt? butt? Or was it a molded butt? I mean, it, it was, was a it was a skin molded. tight. It was a skin tight molded butt. I just, oh. I, there's a little making of you can see him put the <clears> costume on. Oh, I see. So it was like this is IRL Doug Jones, but with slight enha- fishman enhancements. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, jumping ahead, jumping ahead. But yes, Whoa. yes. Oh man. Oh, and then there was also yeah that three billboards movie, which I really liked. I liked it. I I enjoyed the movie. Listen, you guys, if you all fundamentally disagree with me on liking that movie a lot, that's okay. I need to watch it a third time to make sure a I third time I, to make sure to submit how I feel. Yeah, every billboard needs treatment. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me personally, in this category, I'm just so excited to see Jordan Peele's Get Out. Yes, absolutely. In yeah. the original screenplay category, because I just think that again, we did a podcast earlier, same you know about this about this film, and just went through all the kind of subtext that's kind of very stealthily interwoven into this what could have been just a formula you know yeah uh, horror film. it could have been a standard horror film um and pretty pretty run-of-the-mill but when it's rooted in kind of what the kind of horrors and anxieties that kind of plague the black male psyche and making that what the horror is, is rooted in that was just so interesting and so unique and i thought very original Okay, so that's the I I uh, wholeheartedly agree. I think it's <laughs> it's a it's a really meaningful film this year. It's very timely because obviously mm. this came out in March, so like a, just a few months after the election, where that's kind of the zeitgeist. Uh, I mean, it's a problem that's been around for a long time, but yeah. uh, m- coming out of the presidency of our first African American president, it's reflecting on, hey, where are we at really? Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, and it deals with race racial politics in an interesting way because it's not attacking like um, overt racism it's like that those microaggressions that kind of exist in the you know the kind of more liberal settings you know that have become you know commonplace that also you know in inadvertently contribute to the larger problem and it it kind of shows that it it reveals that to the audience in a really creative way yeah absolutely and and as zachary put it it's also terrifying and also funny yeah. It's all. Mm-hmm. It's just. It's a genre builder. I, I Bender. I really like that he dubbed it. You know, a a social thriller. Just totally. Yeah. Which was. Which by the way, I did some research. It was actually a term that existed a long time ago mm. that he he brought back from the from the dead. So that's. I don't know. Really cool. Very super smart script. I yeah. mean, yeah, that whole movie is genius. But like that script, it had to have that that script there to to really work. Right. So. Shout out there. Uh, Alexandra, anything you'd like to say on the, the original screenplay? Category? Sure. So the only one I haven't seen out of this one is The Big Sick. Sorry, Caleb. I uh, just haven't caught, in, caught that one yet. Um, I've read the screenplay for Three Billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, and um, I I enjoyed it. I mean, it's 
one thing I always have to remind myself, you know, you know, the, the people here that we're all working in film, um, this is definitely not a shooting script. This is a published script. So basically everything, basically everything that goes on within the screenplay itself is going to show up on screen. And I did feel like that what I was reading, like, I can see how it became what it did on the screen. It manifested very well. Um, and it had, and, it, and the script itself was very interesting. I, I just feel like even if I like the film and I have a, I don't like, I, I don't vehemently dislike the film. I actually do like the film, but I feel like the other f- films in the categories, honestly, most of these categories just kind of outshine it really. Yeah. Um, it, it tells an interesting story and it's certainly, um, one that I'm glad that to have watched. Uh, but yeah, I would much rather see a piece like get out, get the original screenplay here because it just besides of how important this film is, um, it is offering something so interesting and new and nuanced and funny and it does everything and it does everything just with just precision and incredible, just it just is painted with a deft hand and you can tell the craftsmanship that went into this. Um, one of my favorite things about seeing the screenplay uh, categories, like whenever you watch the Oscars is when they pull up this, the script side by side with the action. Yeah. Oh, that's my, that's my favorite part. Honestly, probably the higher Oscar ceremony. I mean, besides, (laughs) you know, seeing who wins best picture and that kind of thing, but that's one of my favorite parts. Um, and so honestly, I think that that's, that screenplay is my favorite out of the bunch and I hope gets the Oscar. So, and that was Get Out? Yeah. Okay. Um, I, it's a tough category for me. I, I think I echo the sentiments around the table. Um, Except for. <laughs> I don't hate three billboards. I, I think it's what I'm I'm, I'm, go- I'm going through really long gestating backlash to the overwhelming praise. Because it's not bad. Like the, the acting especially is really top notch. And the script is good. Like it's an engaging script. I've, I've read part of it myself. It's engaging. I just... I just feel like, and this is another part, I'm kind of sad I didn't get the podcast about this one actually to work my feelings out about it because in a really weird turn of events, and I got to be careful to make sure I'm using this word correctly, I feel like it paints broad strokes and caricatures uh, people from the Midwest, which by the way, I don't typically mind because a lot of the caricatures are real, (laughs) but I also feel like it's not actually aiding or assisting in the current mood an atmosphere of america right now that we need to see a bunch of angry midwesterners looking like idiots and violent uh and being super racist it's, it's, not, it's racist. not quite it, racist yes it's not entirely three-dimensional and that's fair right yeah it definitely doesn't paint them favorably right and, and i don't think uh, again i i like mark mcdonough a lot like mm. in bruges is like one of my favorite movies of all time it's yeah. an incredible film i, I, I sure love is. it and seven psychopaths is a lot of fun and I think, too, part, the other thing was I expected to like it a lot more than I did also. Like, there was so much hype going into this one. The trailers were so good. So there's a lot of external factors there. I think yeah. a lot of it being the fact that, yeah, the kind of the kind of the cultural zeitgeist we're in right now, especially when you compare it to films like Get Out, which I feel like Get Out is actually fording the conversation about race in America mm-hmm. or The Shape of Water that's, 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 that's really putting the idea of, of – empathy and empathizing with people who look and act differently than you um, or Lady Bird giving us a, a really powerful coming of age story for a woman. You know what I mean? These are all the, things that I feel like are adding to this like, hey, let's have empathy. Fair. Let's think outside of our own shoes versus this film which feels like a guy, which a guy 
it feels like a guy who's never properly hung out in the Midwest, mm-hmm. or at least really known anyone in the Midwest, writing about how he thinks the Midwest looks like based on his limited experience. Yeah. And by the way, he doesn't really know, like, you know what I mean? It's It feels like it's the least progressive of the other four. Like, the other four, and that may be just what's what's into right now. Everything else, like you said, is at least forwarding the conversation on different social issues. That particular film seems to be a little bit stale in its representation right. of the characters it's presenting. Right. It's not a bad film, though. It, it is not. A good, not a bad it film. is not a bad film um is it a bad film no okay <laughs> okay i'll say this uh i i'll I'm, i will be satisfied if any of the four get it i do really appreciate your i think get out is probably the most important on there although i really do think the big sick although not in nearly as creative of a way is dealing with a very similar yeah. thing for pakistani americans i agree, mm, yeah. I agree. Uh, for sure and yeah. uh man yeah i just my favorite thing about that film and moving on is just how i feel like i relate so deeply to a man who's from Pakistani, like who grew, who was born in Pakistan, mm-hmm. Pakistan, and then comes over to America, and he has like these deeply reli- religious cultural roots, and he's not that way, and he's pursuing more artistic careers, and you know what I mean, like, and the weird family dynamics. I'm like, dude. I relate to this guy so much in a way that I never would have expected. It was refreshing. It was refreshing to see Tearing that Tearing down barriers. Exactly. 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 So while I don't think it's doing, especially not nearly as creatively or aggressively confronting the issues as Get Out, I do think it's in a different way, still talking about some of the same things. Absolutely deserves to be in this category. Yes. I'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I, it's okay. I like all these things. Get Out's probably got it. And I think that would be, that would be perfectly fine. And I'd be happy about it. I'd be happy about it, as I'm saying. So, cinematography, next category. Uh, also kind of a bloodbath, but let's just, uh, long story short, we got Blade Runner 2049, the man, the legend, the guy who still hasn't won an Oscar, Roger Deakins. We have Darkest Hour, Bruno. Uh, we got uh, Dunkirk from Hoyt. Uh, we've got Mudbound. We've got Rachel Morrison. The most American-sounding name out of the I feel like the biggest word I took away from the word of the day whenever the announcements came out was diversity. And this is one of those categories where it's really important because Rachel Morrison's first female director to be nominated whoop, whoop. for a cinematographer. And that's amazing. And that's a big yeah. achievement. Well, big it's, deal. it's sad, but also great. It it's, took yeah. this many, 90 just whole 90 Oscars whole yeah, yeah. to make yeah. a, just, a lady holding say, a camera get an award. Women can take pretty pictures, too. Who knew? It's great to see that, that happen. Because, I mean, that's the thing. I, don't, I couldn't have told you like a woman DP before before this. I was like, oh, cool. That's awesome that Rachel got nominated because, again, more representation. Sad it took so long. Great that it happened, though. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. But honestly, anything other than Roger Deakins in this category is really a no-go for me um, in terms of when taking the actual award. But I, if she went, if I'll put it this way. If she takes it, I will accept that, but it should be Roger Deakins. I'll, yeah, I'll be happy with any of these people because all of these people made beautiful movies. I mean, I haven't seen Mudbound, but I know everyone says it's beautiful and it's on the list, guys. I'm sorry. It's but- it's so beautiful that Netflix. <laughs> that, it's so beautiful that Netflix is like, hey guys, what if we didn't put this on the big screen? Yeah, it's and so beautiful and amazing. Like, let's, let's let put it on people the watch screen. it on your tiny TVs while you're on Instagram on your phone. Exactly. <laughs> I'm, actually, I'm actually surprised though by Mudbound's because it got a lot of nominations. It I think did like five or six nominations. It, it did get a surprising it for the because it only screened. Like I think one, one theater. theater, and like I was the only one in that theater. Right, like it was just me. So like I don't understand um, how. <laughs> I think it's one of those things. Netflix probably had one baby to put it all the chips on. This is the one they went with. I think. Yeah, I and guess it, it, yeah. it paid yeah. off because it got a supporting actress nom, got a cinematography nom. I mean, so like in big categories, the heavy hitting categories, and for oh, it for to sure. for it to technically be a 
Netflix film. That's what I'm going to call it because even if it was in one theater, it only it, people overwhelmingly saw this. Except on for Netflix, the, yeah. except for the 112 yeah. people that were in that theater, everyone saw it on Netflix. Right, so absolutely. that's pretty great that it went as far as to the Oscars in in so many categories. Man, Netflix, just going to say this right now. Netflix, look at what Amazon's doing. They're doing a great thing. Theatrical run followed by a digital release right. on Amazon Prime by the end of the year. Anyway, I'm still I'm still bitter. I haven't seen it. I can't see Oak on the big screen. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a it's horrible thing. It's heartbreaking. Alexandra, what do you think about this category? Um, I mean, Roger Deakins, <laughs> if Please. he doesn't. I mean, this is going to be his most mainstream movie, y'all. Exactly. Like, <laughs> like, especially in this category, they tend to they tend to to award the flashier movies, and Roger Deakins isn't a very flashy cinematographer. This is Blade Runner is going to be his flashiest movie ever. Like, it's not going to get flashier than this, this cinematography is it. wise. This is it, if he guys. doesn't get it for this, what else does he's he never going to win? Do to prove himself to you guys? He's doing the full Leo thing, guys. I don't, and I don't want Deacons to get. A, I mean, this would be also like besides Deacons, you know, deserving it. This movie is also beautiful and amazing and incredible and holy shit. So yeah. it's like we don't want Leo to be re- like we don't want Revenant john roger deakins mode like we want him to get it for a movie that he like actually this is like the movie it's like yes you know for sure just, yeah for me i'm gonna liken it to and this is very seems maybe not related but it is in my mind um beyonce has never won um album of the year and if she was ever that, gonna win it was gonna be for lemonade right. the most socially relevant thing she's ever done most artistic thing she's done and Adele won for her second album, Love Adele. Oh, man. But that's what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. It's like even Adele knew that she had to dedicate her award to Beyonce, right. her whole speech. This is where I'm at with this. I'm like, don't make Roger Deakins make a lesser movie and win for yeah. what he did. Yeah, because he really <laughs> right. did make a, an, a goddamn visual masterpiece. Oh, like it's, it, it, it's, it's so incredible. Beautiful. Just quickly, and we'll move on. But I, I, of course, second all the thoughts around the table with Roger Deakins. But say it quickly. Movies he has been nominated for but has not won. Oh, 1994, The Shawshank Redemption. 1996, Fargo. 1997, Kundun. Uh, 2000, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? 2001, The Man Who Wasn't There. 2007, The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. 2007, oh yeah, he got nominated for two movies in 2007 and still didn't win. Oh, what the fuck? Because the second one was No Country for Old Men. Nominated in 2008 for The Reader, 2010 for True Grit, 2012 Skyfall, 2013 Prisoners, 2014 Unbroken, 2015 Sicario, and here we are, 2017 Blade Runner. Name a cinepile that hasn't seen 90% of every one of those movies you've mentioned. He got nominated for two in 2007. Yes, he got nominated for two in 2007 and still didn't win. They were like, no. How we split the vote? I think that was hilarious. That was the year that There Will Be Blood came out, right? Mm hmm. I think that's because that was the thing. It got Best Picture. And it didn't, I don't think it got Best Picture or Director, but it won. But then you had Daniel Day Lewis, Take Home Actor. Yeah. And then I might be getting, I hope I'm not getting this right. But and then, so yeah. It was it was again one of those let's make a deal guys <laughs> and uh, unfortunately Robert Deakins gets snubbed by the way Skyfall visually impressive incredible film all those films incredibly beautiful it. movie okay uh, so let's move on to animate best animated feature so number one okay I've 
I've seen one of these movies. I, I have seen I know which one it is. four of them. <laughs> yeah. I have seen four of them, and I'm sad and about it's the, the boss baby. I know it's the boss baby. <laughs> you, you got me, man. You got the me. Boss you were baby. lined up at midnight to see it. That one you're like, Guys, it's a masterpiece. Alec Baldwin for the boss baby. Um, so we've got the boss baby, the breadwinner, Coco, Ferdinand, and loving Vincent. So I've got a lot of thoughts on this category, actually. But um, I, the ones of these I've seen, uh, Boss Baby is, is not good. Um, They're just happy to be here. Very. <laughs> Coco's a masterpiece and almost surefire lock, of course, and then also Pixar. And it's Pixar making a great movie, not Pixar making an okay movie and winning. Uh, right. It's no, a great Coco film. Is... I, I Punches you in the feels. It does. Yes. And it's so good. It's a visual masterpiece, too. It's great. If you hear the talk. Those songs are fantastic. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. You know a movie, I, shout out here, Loving Vincent, a movie almost no one saw. It played at MOA twice, like yes. a, a two I different weekends. It, it's great. I missed it, and I'm very disappointed yeah, me in too. myself. It is something special. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's better than, I don't know if the film as a whole is better than Coco, but they what they did was they, they it was all, the, the whole film was painted. Painted. Yeah. Frame by frame. It was the first animated painted movie in history ever yeah. yes. at the end. And That's amazing. the story is really compelling too. It's yeah. basically following the like the last moments of um, Van Gogh. Mm-hmm. So, and it, yeah, great story. Braun from Game of Thrones shows it's, up. I don't know what else you guys want. Wow, <laughs> right? I, I don't have very many other things. <laughs> but I just want to give a shout out. If that <clears throat> is playing anywhere near you, if it pops Absolutely. up, please. The watch fact it. that it's in this category is great. I mean, because that that's, that's an ex, that's a very like forward thinking choice. You know, that's the fantastic Mr. Fox of the group here. Right. You know, um, and not just in the. Pixar Disney wheelhouse. That's if we were going up against Cars three, I would give it to Loving Vincent. But unfortunately for Loving Vincent, it's going up against Coco, which I do think is a great film. What I really wish was nominated here was Your Name. Your Name. Oh, yes. oh Caleb actually has a story about yes. this. I would have Good. loved for Your Name to be in there because it totally deserves it. Totally could have kicked Boss Baby's Boss Baby ass. Out of that <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no, so what happened was they tried to do it last year by putting and they put it in one theater in L.A. at the very end of the year, and oh, then no. it didn't pick up any steam. <sighs> well, okay, well, no, you told me uh, you told me before that it uh, like they flubbed the timing of it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It came out last December, like like last year. They tried to get to last oh. year's Academy Awards. Oh yeah, gotcha. so they so they balls the time qualify. Yeah, last they year. balls the timing on it. Yeah, they, on the release. So they put. So what they did was they tried to get it in a qualifier, like for the show last December, not mm. 26, like 20 December 2016, trying to get the nomination for last year's 2017 Oscars. Gotcha. Didn't get the momentum. But here's the thing: then it comes out and it's a huge hit, and then it's like the highest grossing anime film of all time, and people actually saw it and loved it. They done goofed. They done goofed. It's an amazing movie, and that is such a shame to hear. It is. Mm. I, a film I really wanted to catch, and it was here in Oklahoma City at MOA for about a week or two, and I, I just didn't get around to it. It makes me sad. Is The Breadwinner. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I heard, I heard about. I heard it was incredible. I heard it's really good. I heard good things. Yeah, so... Uh, Trailer looked good. It did. I'm bad at this, guys. <laughs> I'm yeah. bad at seeing movies. Yeah. Well, let's keep, uh, keep the show moving to the supporting actor and actress category, starting with actress. So... We've got uh, supporting actress. We've got Mary J. Blige. Blah. Blah, as LaRon would say. Uh, Mary J. Blah. For for Mudbound, we've got Allison Janney for Itonia. We've got Leslie Manville for The Phantom. Or, sorry, for not the. Allison Janney. (laughs) Janney. Wow. A little Frenchy. 
Leslie Manville for Phantom Thread, Laurie Metcalf for Lady Bird, and Octavia Spencer for The Shape of Water. So, um, La- La- Laron has a thing. I have a th- I have a thought. I'm like like uh, Francis McDormand says. I have a few things to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, diversity, it's there. This is one of those things where we sometimes we get what we asked for, and we weren't very specific in what we were asking for. I'm glad that Mary J. Blodge is here and that Octavia Spencer, Spencer is here. Um, I'm glad that they they were forward in thinking that we should we should diversify this category, but neither one of them deserved to be here because there were at least five other performances in supporting actors roles for females, I thought, that were much stronger. Um, I mean, Girls Trip? Even that, I would have accepted. I'm not oh, joking. Honestly, you, honestly, Alex over there is yeah. chuckling. Honestly, I, I, honestly I, I, Tiffany Haddish was was the Melissa McCarthy of Bridesmaids yes. years mm, ago. Yes. I, I, that would have made a little bit more sense to me, but I don't know. I just felt like Mary J. Blodge in Mudbound was the least interesting thing about that film. It's just not a bad role. It's just that there's just nothing substantial about it that warrants awards mm. award consideration right. that makes sense carrie mulligan was fantastic in it yeah. i thought you know that's the per- that's the main character you're focusing on the whole time anyway so she i guess i guess kind of like with three billboards that performance just gets outshined by everything else that's so great in the movie right. why is this the thing that we're nominating right well and, and same with octavia spencer in the shape of water i mean she's really good yeah but i mean she's doing octavia spencer which is consistently good i don't want to take for granted the fact that she's really good yeah but i think you i mean what, what, what did you say that you think she was more deserving? Even it was her? more safe of a choice yeah. than uh, you could have. They could have reached out a little bit further, but I feel like they made up with that with Leslie Manfield. That's a surprise nomination that I think is absolutely deserved for yeah. Phantom Thread. Oh, yeah. for sure, yeah, absolutely. Well, she did amazing. I am kind of sad that we didn't get Vicky Crepes in there. Vicky Crepes, yes. she was she was also fantastic. Thread. Yes, I agree. I concur. Um, um same with uh, Holly Hunter. Oh yeah, in the Big Sick. Big Sick, right? Mm-hmm. I was probably she could have had that. I, I would have. She, she could have earned that one. I think she earned that one. She was really good in that movie. Yeah. But, ah, what can you do? What that being do? said, I don't have strong feelings on this category. I feel like Alice and Janney is going to get it. And I, I think so. And too. I, I was like, that being I, said, it's Alice and Janney or, or Laurie Metcalf. Metcalf. Yeah. I'm I'm pulling for Laurie Metcalf. I Fair. think that would be awesome. I think it would be. She was good. She was really she good was in that She was fantastic film. in that yeah. movie. I loved both of them. I loved Laurie Metcalf in general, and then I loved her in the film. I love Allison Janney in anything. She could read the phone book. But I think if the only reason, the only way I'm flipping a coin, I'll be happy with either one of those. But if I had to choose, I'd say Allison Janney just because I feel like she's like eight performances overdue for an Oscar. Right, right. And Laurie Metcalf, while she's done great stage work and television work, has very, I mean, the last role, big role I remember seeing her in is Scream 2. And she was amazing as the killer. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Whoa! So, Whoa! <laughs> okay, all right. So, um, Leron, you're saying it's all about the politics, is what I'm hearing. I, he's, yeah. He's politicking. He's politicking. I, I'm politicking a little bit here. Making deals. But I also think that Allison Janney was fantastic. In yeah, my thing oh, is, like, sure. Allison Janney, I loved her in this film. Not even just, like, longevity of career, but specifically this piece. Like, we're not going to see... I, I, I Tanya is not going to win anything else, right? Yeah. So for Margot Robbie to win Best Actress, I'm just not seeing that happen. And yeah, it's not. It's not. So Allison Janney, I okay. I feel like I Tanya really 
was a ride or die on, on Allison Janney being terrifyingly believable as an abusive, chain smoking, parrot wearing, n- alcoholic mother. Yes. Like, the, I mean, it rode on that. Like, yeah. we needed her to be that person. Otherwise, we wouldn't have believed anything else. And she was scary. As She's shit. the dark soul of the movie. Yeah, if that makes sense. Like, like, you know, yeah. you say the soul. Of the, the way the, the way she was paying the guys to harass her. Yes. Whoa. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and it just. I mean, it really needed that. And I felt like her performance in there was masterful and awesome. And I, she probably has it on lock, but I'm totally fine agreeing with the Academy, like wholeheartedly on this one. So, and it's difficult because, but with the both, both of them, if you think about it, Lori Metcalf and Lady Bird is also playing a very tough as nails mother, not yeah. nearly mm-hmm. as cool. not an abusive tough as <laughs> right, nails mother, right, yeah. you know, but definitely there were some sensitivity issues. She's like there. the opposite, she's like the overprotective mother, right? And, and versus the abusive mother, you know, right? Yeah. Just couldn't, couldn't compliment her daughter once if she just wanted it to you know she's like is this really the best your right. be- best version of yourself right <laughs> you so, know like so i don't know but go so ahead. the tables are divided i actually i as i'm saying i actually don't have much stake in this game i i would be happy with either of those i think those are the only two i'd be happy with though i mean i'm glad leslie man uh, leslie manville got a shout out though but let's go ahead and move on to supporting actor now i do have feelings about this one uh we've got willem the <laughs> for the florida project woody harrelson for three billboards richard jenkins for the shape of water Christopher Plummer for All the Money in the World, Sam Rockwell, oh, Three right. Billboards. I have feelings, but I'll let someone have, else speak for now. I have lots of feelings. Okay. Um, Alexandra. I'll, I'll say my feelings because my feelings, I don't feel are as big as your feelings right now. Um, <laughs> my, big, my big feeling is anybody but William Defoe is a tragedy. <laughs> That that's that's fair. I would actually second that. Yeah, because that's only I, one of my feelings, though. Because yes. like <laughs> yes. I, I, the rest of this list, these are incredible actors who have done amazing things. I'm sure Christopher Plummer is fantastic in All the Money, but that's the only one I haven't seen. He's the answer to sexual harassment. Oh, okay, sorry. God. I'm sorry. Yeah. So it's just <laughs> that's, like that's I can't joke. That's mean. Sorry. Yeah. So, but Willem Dafoe. I mean, William Defoe has never, he's gotten typecast as basically his character in Spider-Man 1, like, for his entire career. So he's always... Games the Goblin, watch the spider out. Yeah, he's always this bad guy because he's got a scary face and a scary voice, but now he gets to play a guy, like, the Florida Project, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about snobs later. Mm, mm. Um, the Florida Project is <laughs> an incredible films. Uh, an incredible film that it really you don't feel you feel the performances just like Tangerine they're the director's first outing just like Tangerine the performances are so lived in you cannot ex- can't not think that if you drove down to that magic castle kingdom hotel those people are right those there. people are right there living there including William Defoe as the the groundskeeper slash hotel manager and I felt like his performance was heart meltingly heart-wrenchingly incredible and i was so like it felt weird being proud of an actor but i was just proud and happy for him that he was able to have this role because we don't get to see him in much like this where he gets to like he plays a normal dude he with plays real feelings. a real yeah. normal human being person that isn't just a cackling maniacal laugh you know so like i mean i was just i was thrilled and i was honestly like touched watching that movie because he was so incredible talk about cinematic like movie fathers that you want like Mm -hmm. yeah so anyway so those are my feelings on uh on supporting actor Uh, articulate your feelings crew (laughs) um who wants to go next Uh, i'll go last i just want to say it's 
phenomenal that Christopher Plummer is nominated. Yes, it because is. Because he came to that movie, what, six Nine. weeks before it came out? I think he just finished, out? actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, he, he jumped into that movie last second. Last minute. Did you guys, did you guys the, see that? Alexandra I, and Zachary, did you guys get to I, I missed it. Okay. I've so heard it's pretty good. The movie is actually good. The movie's actually really we, good. I was really yeah. surprised, considering the controversies surrounding that entire production, yeah. post-production, mm-hmm. that movie should have been terrible. And it really wasn't. It was actually a very strong, interesting, Interesting film. Yeah. I was engaged the whole time. Michelle Williams is fantastic. Would have liked to have seen her nominated. She was really great. She was. She was. Oh, she was Oscar worthy. She was Oscar worthy in that movie. Exactly. And Christopher Plummer was 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 great in it. I thought. Um, considering everything that happened, <laughs> how that happened, yeah. I don't know. Given the amount of the limited amount of time he had to prep and all right. that stuff. Nine day shoot. Like so I mean, like Ridley my Scott God. calls up. Hey, uh, I need you to take ten days of your schedule starting tomorrow, and uh, I need you to replace a. Uh, but there's just something really. like like juicy and scandalous about him being nominated it's kind of like a big oh, it's sure. a big middle finger that one's a big like huge middle finger it's like it's like you see that so you see that sexual harassers and you know look stuff. Yeah, look at that yeah. this is what happens this could be you this could be you if you just if you're a good people if you're a good person we reward you god um yeah no i think i think that's really great uh the most exciting one and most surprising one for me is definitely richard jenkins for Shape of Water, I'm glad he got nominated. Yeah. That's amazing. That's a good, he, he never a good gets any, he never gets any attention, and he I just, doesn't. He's and he's so consistently he's delightful a, in yes. everything. He's, he's a in, great right? character actor for sure. I'm glad he's there. I second yours on Willem Dafoe mainly because not because he's undeserving of it, but. Because the people that I wanted to see in this category are not here, so the only person right. I care about winning is Willem Dafoe. Right. <laughs> so I would have liked to have seen Army Hammer for Call, yep. call Me By yep. Your Name, Same. or Michael can never say his last name, also in Call Me By Your Name, as uh, oh, uh, Timothy Michael Stuhlbarg. Michael who plays Stuhlbarg. his father, yeah. gives an amazing speech at the end of the film. Thought it was Michael. St- talk about snubs. Yeah, three, that dude three, three movies. Oscar, Oscar nominated movies. That he didn't get nominated for. So best body of work, Oklahoma City Film Critics Circle, twenty eighteen, exactly. <laughs> or seventeen. But this feels like it's 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 a Sam Rockwell's year, and that's fine. He's a fantastic actor, he's a and actor. he's great he in this. Did actually, he get it for so. Moon? No, no, no. he didn't get nominated for Moon. That's rude. That is uh, very rude. Can I just say this? Uh, and here's my feelings. Um, what are Sam, your feelings? Caleb? So, uh, deep feelings. One, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Willem Dafoe is the one guy I absolutely want to win this one, especially given that the people in the conversation. I think Sam Rockwell is going to be back, which is why I don't want him to win this one. Even though he's a great guy, <laughs> he's a he's, he's a great actor. He did some cool stuff, but again, inherently, he's playing a character that frustrates the hell out of me. Uh, and says a lot of racist things. And I know that's the character. It's not his thing. He does a great job. But I just like there's uh, he's going to be back for something better, though. Better. You know, something that we can be proud that he won for. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, and like uh, he's great in it. Right. But it's so like, you mentioned two of the best supporting actors I want to see in this category from Call Me By Your Name. Uh, again, this is where the Logan feelings come out. And I say Patrick Stewart as Professor X in that movie. He's really and I'm not saying this is because I'm an X-Men fan. He's just really damn good. He plays a senile old guy with psychic powers who's on like the edge of his life. Uh, and it's really it's, I just was really moved by it. And I thought it was of an Oscar caliber. Oh, for sure. Fair. It's Patrick Stewart. Patrick guys. Stewart. Yeah. It's Patrick Stewart. Stewart. Yeah. Has he, won, he hasn't won an Oscar. So, I mean, like, no. come on, give the guy give the guy some love. Uh, it's just one of those that would be too much right. for for a comic book movie. Uh, again, I'm not it's, I'm not going to die on that hill. I just it would have been really nice. The one person here that I think could have been swapped 
was equally good in Three Billboards, but Woody Harrelson, Woody Harrelson yeah. is the one that I feel like he's the weak link. That's the weak link of the bunch, and of the ones that were snubbed that makes it a little bit like more any painful. one of those other three actors, any one of them, and, and, and Michael Stuhlbarg in any one of those three movies specifically calling yeah. by your name. Yeah, but like right? any yeah. one of those other three. I movies. feel like Army Hammer swap out for Woody Harrelson. Yeah, I would have been much. Mm, more that would I would have been happier about that. Yeah, one. yeah. yeah. it would have been a more route, well-rounded group. God bless Army Hammer. This guy's gonna make it one day, guys. One day, one of these just, days. That'll take us to lead actress. So we've got Sally Hawkins for The Shape of Water, Frances McDormand for Three Billboards, Margot Robbie for Itonia, Saoirse Ronan for Lady Bird, and Meryl Streep for The Post. I'm uh, jumping in. Sally Hawkins. Sally freaking Hawkins. Thank guys. you. My choice would be Sally Hawkins. Not I. Again, I don't. I mean, this is Frances McDormand's Oscar, but. I, if it was my choice, I would say Sally Hawkins. My second choice would actually be Saoirse. I agree. I, of the nominees, I would agree on that one. Too. I actually agree with you, too. We are at a consensus. All right. We've yeah. voted. The Oscar goes to Sally Hawkins. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Saoirse gets the runner-up Oscar. <laughs> unfortunately, the SAG, unfortunately, the SAG has basically all but determined the acting category. It, it's definitely so. happened. Yeah. 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 But yeah. if Frances McDormand does, in fact, win, then my only you know request is that she walks up to the podium with that crazy ridiculous like whatever she's been doing <laughs> at the award shows i'm living for all of this shoulder shimmy and this whatever like it's crazy go there's there's oh, gifts yeah. i've been using the gifts for the last couple of weeks because of yes. her movements oh. yeah it's like I, lunch in the break room and the oscar for best gift goes to yeah, yeah. basically <laughs> and I mean, this is this is like this is a tough category. I mean, I feel like from this category, the person that I would be mad would be Meryl Streep, but that's not going to happen. Right? Like She's Meryl's already, not yeah. going to get that Oscar. No. no. So like. So everyone else, it's just like, oh, I could be happier if the person I want gets it, but everyone <laughs> right. else is deserving. Deserving, right. Everybody Even Margot. Ab- Even Margot. Oh, for sure. Yes. She is the fantastic there. Yeah, like, there's not a single person in this category who is not deserving. Who's undeserving, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I think they'll agree. Yeah, Francis, Francis McDormand's probably got that one. But uh, again, nice to see Cy Hawk- Hawkins nominated. Uh, she was great. She would be my personal She was pick fantastic. As well. Guys, she yes. didn't say a word in that movie. She, but did, we she, felt did, her. she did say some words. She, she, oh, sorry. Wait. Technically, kind of. Spoiler. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. But I mean, but yeah, the fact that she, she, she acted. She acted yeah. she in a major way. With she was a mute. She played a mute, and she was a fully embodied character. Yeah, she was a she had wonderful to play, character. She had, she had character actors. She had to make love to Amphibian Man. Like I was, it was very convincing. All of it. Yeah. She I, wanted to make love to Amphibian Man, yes. and I was and on the ride did. with her. I, I was right there with her. Yeah, I'm like, it's like, well, Man. that makes total sense to yeah, me right yes. now. I yeah. love this man too now. Yeah. <laughs> God, thank you. Thank God. Oh, I just realized there's a uh, best director category missing here, so I'll come back around to that. Lead actor. We're going to be split on this one, but yeah, I'm okay with this. Uh, this is a tough one, too. Uh, we've got Timothy Chalmay for Call Me By Your Name, Daniel Day-Lewis for Phantom Thread, Daniel Kalua for Get Out, Gary Oldman for Darkest Hour, and Denzel Washington for Roman J. Israel. Esquire. 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 <laughs> so Can't forget the Esquire. My feelings at, initially with this one, as a, in contrast to the supporting actor, actress category where I – said Octavia Spencer in um, Mary J. Blige should not have been in this category. I'm very happy to see the two people of color in this category. I think they were both deserving of this. Um, 
the big surprise is Daniel Kaluuya, though, because that was on my short list yeah. for like never going to happen. Right. But it'll be great mm-hmm. to see, wouldn't it? Yeah. And yeah. then here he is. And I'm just like, well, that's great. That's fantastic. He won't win. But that's great that he's here. <laughs> yeah. You know, same. so. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that he's in the conversation is a step forward. Is great. Absolutely. That's but uh, yeah, no, it, it is nice to see him there. Other than that. Uh, Daniel Day Lewis, if he got it, it would be like a consolatory award. Not, not he's fantastic. Well, he's kinda, in but it. he is kind of is like the Meryl Streep syndrome, right? He's yeah. already, he wins every time he goes. He you, wins. You've so won it's like, three Oscars, yeah. and you're allegedly retiring. So allegedly. allegedly, and assuming that he is, it's like great. This was a great send off role. This is you know, but you don't need another not another Oscar. Um, honestly, I feel like this is Gary Oldman's all the way, but. I really want it, if it was my choice, it would be Timothy Charlemagne. Just because I thought that that kid carried that entire movie to the end and those end credits, I haven't cried harder at a movie than that one. So, Yeah, no, I would agree. I, if, if I were to hand it out, it would go to Timothy for sure. Because, um, yeah, he just, yeah. he, I mean, he rocked the crap out of that movie. I, and he was so natural and mature. Like, he felt, I mean, to think that he was 19 no, yeah, when he, he did that. Yeah, he felt like a 19-year-old. Right, he exactly. He didn't seem like, because I a feel like A 19-year-old pretending to be a 19-year-old. Yeah, yeah, yeah some yeah. of those like, stuff with Margot Robbie when she's supposed to be, like, 17 or 15 or, like, or whatever. I'm like, you look like you're 27. <laughs> yeah. And then you're trying to play down, and it's weird. Yeah. Yeah, but again, in, in these kinds of movies, uh, like Call Me By Your Name, where it's specifically about, you know, that coming of age kind of thing mm-hmm. of a specific person. It's hard to get oh, those little oh, nuances. A lot of times, a lot of times those characters that we're following feel older than, than they years. are. Yeah. They feel more mature for the age that they should be. Mm. And I really felt like Timothy really felt like a 19 year old. He did these goofy, immature things, mm-hmm. um, but then was also very real. He felt like a really, really right. real, well-developed character in that movie for me. Agreed. And I think that Gary Ullman for me is fantastic in The Darkest Hour, but it is a capital A acting right. role. Oh, yes. So it oh, feels yeah. very Iron Lady-esque well, we to talk me. about old school prestige films that feel like Oscar bait. It, it definitely feels that right. way. Mm-hmm. And that's not to take away from how good he is in it. He is. No, unlike great. The Iron Lady, I actually think that this is, I mean, he fully embraced that it wasn't a caricature. Well, and let's take a moment just to say, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree, but Gary Oldman is another character actor who is way, way over, oh, way underappreciated, over, oh, sure. over, yeah, long overdue as well. I don't want him to get it for, for Winston Churchill, though. I mm. agree. You know, I think he will get it, but <laughs> yeah, he will. But, he will. Uh, yeah, Timothy <laughs> Timothy Chalamet is probably, I think, of this of the nominated would be would be my pick. Same. Um, Again, I'm just going to say it. It would have been nice to see Hugh Jackman for Logan. but <laughs> It's uh, a hill that Caleb will die on. I, I, I just, again. Not, as not a, Hugh Jackman for Greatest Showman? No, yeah, I mean, that's, my <laughs> hair, that's where he canceled himself out, really. I, I do want Hugh Jackman to get one one <laughs> day. split the Hugh Jackman vote. And I'm sure he will get one one day, cause he, but he's been really good consistently. But I will say, he, he really, he's a guy who gives an... Uh, he he gives so much to every film he's in. He's really believed in the, the the Wolverine Logan character so much, and he and you can if you go back and watch the films, you can clearly so hit, see him growing as a performer throughout. Mm-hmm. And it was again a really wonderful send off, which I also felt like he was giving an Oscar caliber performance in a film that starred a super, essentially a superhero. Uh, even though it wasn't technically a superhero, it wasn't actually a superhero movie. But right. okay. that was never going to happen. I just thought it would have been a nice <laughs> tribute to that guy. It would have been nice, kind yeah. of like Sean Connery getting nominated for Bond or something like that. I don't know. So, best director, another tough category: Dunkirk, Christopher Nolan, Get Out, Jordan Peele, Lady Bird, Greta Gerwig, 
Phantom Thread, Paul Thomas Anderson, and The Shape of Water with Del Toro. Guys, I just want all of them. I want all of them. Guys, this all is a good of these category. movies are fantastic. All of those like are A-plus good. movies. All five of them. All of those are good. The thing I'm happy to see in here is that Martin McDonough is not in that category. Agreed. Because so. if he was, I think he might get it. And I think that it's interesting that considering he's won everything leading up to this, that he's not even in there. I was like, oh, well, that makes this interesting. It does. Without mm. the front runner in this category, then it's anyone's game. God, so. I swear, if it wins Best Picture, I'm going to rage. And then, like, I'm just thinking back to Argo Argo flashbacks where, the, you know, Ben Affleck wasn't nominated for director, but then it won Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. This is one that's interesting for me. I am super, super happy to see... Jordan Peele nominated and Greta Gerwig. Right. Those two oh, were yeah. those right. were on my short list of possibilities, but maybe not going to happen. Again, dreams, dreams, dreams coming true, guys. You know that being said, um, I don't, I don't want Jordan Peele to win necessarily. Um, I think it should be. I really would like to Guillermo take this one, honestly. Yeah, he's. I think he deserves an Oscar. He should have gotten one for Pan's Labyrinth, but. Right. That didn't yeah, happen, so. mm-hmm. I, I honestly, I honestly think that Guillermo del Toro has this kind of unlock, and I, I'm fine I with think it. So too. Super yeah. fine with it. It's his time. He's yeah. been I, he's been doing this for a long time, and he's and he did. And again, it wasn't like he he made a subpar movie that got nominated. He made pro- yeah. arguably his no, best. His film. best. He made his best movie. It, right. So it, definitely his best American film, and it's and it's an incredible masterpiece. The way it bends genre. Mm-hmm. We've talked a lot about it already. The way it bends genre. It's like it's a period piece. It's a sci-fi and a romance all in one. Uh, like it's, it, it's all the things we love about Del Toro present. So I'm glad to see you get nominated, man. It's weird. Any other year, if this was even like three years ago and I see Christopher Nolan pop up, I'm like, dude, give it to Nolan. Cause I'm a Nolan right, fanboy, yeah. and I, I still kind of want him to win, but like less so than Del Toro for sure. Which is weird. Cause I, again, I have I've been about seeing Christopher Nolan's praises my entire young adulthood. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I think this is great. I think I, I'm glad Paul Thomas Anderson got nominated. I don't think a win. I think he's probably the, the one the I least likely. like least likely, and the one I would I'd probably rank him last. Not because he's not exceptional, but just because it's a tough category. Yeah, it's a tough category. It's and extremely tough, tough. And the other ones are dealing with both politicking and actual deserved wins right now. Right. So it's like, yes. so it's like when you get down to him, it's like, yeah, his film is amazing, but these other ones, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, yeah. So I'm I'm gonna say Del Toro on that one for sure. Okay. All right. Well, guys. The moment has come when we get to the big one, the one we've all been waiting for that only has nine nominations instead of 10, despite there being at least 25 movies worth, uh, worthy of fitting in this category. So best picture 2018 Academy Awards. Call me by your name. Very happy to see that one. Make it in. Absolutely. Yeah. Darkest hour. Yeah. Dunkirk. <laughs> Dunkirk. Yes. Get out. Yes. Lady Bird. Yes. Phantom Thread. Yes. The Post. Yes. The Shape of Water. Yes. And three billboards yeah, outside maybe. of Missouri. Wait, okay. didn't okay? Sorry to rewind for a second. On director, didn't Spielberg got nominated for no. the post? No. Oh, for some he, reason I thought he did. He got swapped out for P.T. Anderson. Mm-hmm. He was expected to get it. He was. He was expected to get it over Peel and the other one. So it's like that's because Martin McDonough was supposed to be nominated, <laughs> yeah. and then and then Spielberg and then Peel and P.T. Anderson were going to be out. It was it, yeah. P.T. Anderson was a wild card. He came out of nowhere because yeah, like, you're right. That could have been Martin McDonough. Or uh, and again, it's that I, phantom nomination. I, I would Hey-o. say, I, I, you know, I do think Spielberg did an, a magnificent, incredible thing by making a movie that fast, that was so oh, timely yeah. and important. That was also an a, a really a movie. Uh, but he's Spielberg. He's Spielberg. Sure, yeah, no, that wasn't me saying, "Oh God, give it to Spielberg." That was me being like, "Wait, 
I, I thought he was here. I thought he was I there. Thought, I actually, right? It's funny. I actually thought he was too until I pulled up that list right now to read him to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, ooh, man, this is tough. This is so. I, I want all of them. I, will, I want seven of them to win. I want seven. <laughs> of them Two of them. I mean, one of them. I mean, Darkest Hour only deserves to win by association with Dunkirk, in which it is put in the same movie as the supercut that I want. Come on, internet, bring it to me. <laughs> Dunkirk, great, Darkest Hour, supercut, give it to me now. Dunkirk colon the darkest hour. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, there you go. There and it, it is. It Come even on. sounds like a Chris Nolan movie. Ha- it it needs to happen. It needs to happen. Someone, some. I need the internet to make merge those two films and make the action sequence interject the speeches between him and without Carol. taking away the momentum of without, the action it, pieces. Exactly. Yes, exactly. I, I want you internet to do literally everything for me. Please, to, thank to you, Alan. We know you can do it. <laughs> All those gifts you keep making of cats. We know you can do it. <laughs> you can do it. Um, so, uh, Zachary, we'll start with you on this one. Oh, man. What? If you had to pick one or maybe two, you have a first and a second. What would you go with? Okay. Uh, Shape of Water and Lady Bird. That's it for me. Um, Shape of Water is just an incredibly beautiful movie. Um, it's one of those that really hit me hard. Uh, I don't know. I'm just, I, I really love Fishmen. I don't know. It's something, it's something about them. Um, it's amphibian, man. I know. But Fishman is <laughs> way more funny. Fishman's way funny. more funny. Um, uh, yeah, Shape of Water was a beautiful movie, and um, I'm, that's the one that I know will probably win. And I'm super okay with it uh, because Guillermo del Toro absolutely deserves it. That movie is beautiful and amazing. Um, but then, yeah, right under that, I'd, I'd really have to say Lady Bird. I, I think of uh, of the coming-of-age movies, I think, I think Lady Bird kind of redefined what those movies can be mm-hmm. and what they look like because mm-hmm. any one of the any one of the sub stories uh, within like 20 minutes of that movie would normally be a whole coming of age movie. And it it fit in like three or four of those, but completely like it didn't feel overcrowded. um, And each character felt absolutely real. Um, Laurie Metcalf and, and Saoirse Ronan uh, and Tracy Letts, uh, another, another, another really great dad actor from Oklahoma, by the way. Mm hmm. Yes, indeed. But yeah, I think those would be my my top movies, top two of the year. I was I would say Shape of Water first place, and I would probably go Dunkirk second place, Lady Bird third place. I I really like. I mean, that's but that's me saying, oh yes, what chocolate covered cheesecake will I like to dine upon this <laughs> evening? Right. Like, I mean, it's basically trying to rate my favorite cat or something, you know, like it's, 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 it's very small nuances that all regard to like personal taste and how it struck me in the moment and how I feel about it now. But like, I mean, I really want shape of water to win. I think that's a really important movie. Um, but again, like honestly, like, and it sucks. Like we, I really don't dislike built three billboards. I don't like think it's a hateful tear. I don't, well, it's vaguely hateful, but it, like it's, <laughs> it's not a terrible movie by no. any means, but I just feel like so much of these other films are much stronger and much more important, of, more important and more of the movies I want to see. So I want to reward the people. I mean the post God, like, I, I mean, I would be fine with the post winning best picture. I so mean, good. like, yeah. So like when all the, of these, in my mind, the worst, almost the, the second worst case scenario I can come up with is the post is winning. We live in a really good world. That's yeah, exactly. Good year for film. Yeah. I mean, so that's kind of where I'm at. I'm like, cool. 
give it give somebody an Oscar, I guess. Yes. <laughs> you know? that, it's, that'll happen. Man, it's just a, such a great year. Uh, but Laurent. Yours picks. My first pick is the phantom pick that isn't here. It's called the Florida Project that Ooh. wasn't nominated for Best Picture this year, Burn. which is a travesty. But it that's, is. that being With said. That one slot, still there. One slot, you know, that's fine. Um, that being said, I, I kind of um, uh, echo a lot of what's been said. I honestly, my favorite film this year, my number one pick was Get Out. I don't want it to win Best Picture necessarily, but I'm so happy to see it as a Best Picture mm-hmm. nominee. Absolutely, it's a it, it's a good indication of where the Oscars are going, both being very progressive, including genre films that are deserving of being in the category. Um, and that being said, my second pick was Call Me by Your Name, so I'd be happy with Call Me by Your Name, Lady mm-hmm. Bird, or Shape of Water. Honestly, that's great. Yeah, yeah. that's a great man. I just am so happy. I I love that you mentioned that, Laurent, like that we do have genre films. We have films about people of color. We have films about non-cis white guys like that are in the conversation. That Mm -hmm. that means that are people who are going to go out and watch these movies because they're in the the conversation. I think that the Academy is propping these up as values, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, just huge sign of progress. And I really feel like it's just been this huge shift has really only happened in the last three years. I know we talked about on our crash talk uh, about how, you know, uh, uh, Brokeback Mountain didn't win because it was too edgy in 2006. At the time, yeah. But now we have a film that's and that was a movie like we have a movie where they're they're wearing that that's in the trailers they're playing it up mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um, so I just yeah it, it's a really great time um, one thing I was holding my tongue on was I'm really glad to see Dunkirk here so here's the weird thing about Dunkirk I walked out of, and I don't know what it was if I just was not in the zone right I enjoyed it quite a bit the first time uh, I saw it. And saw it on 70 millimeter the first time, which was incredible. Sing on 70 millimeter was awesome. But I, I didn't walk out feeling like home run about it. I don't know what it was. I just was like, oh, man, that was a great experience. But I will say, uh, distancing myself from the film, and then I just watched it again at uh, the, the Tower Theater uh, a week and a half ago. And I was like, oh, my God. Like I, For whatever reason, all the things that I kind of liked really clicked. And I'm like, oh, God. Like the way all the pieces fit together how it has you on the edge of your seat the entire time. It's just a really great execution of spectacle. Um, it does lack certain, maybe here's the thing, maybe it, it does lack certain things about Nolan films I do like a lot uh, because it's mostly spectacle. It's pretty light on characters. It's pretty light on, um, pretty light on like he- heavier, edgier, like like weightier themes. But that said, like that for this, I feel like this was almost outside of his comfort zone because I remember we go back to Batman Begins where like the thing he couldn't do is action and now he's making a full blown two hour action sequence. So just I'm I'm glad that you put that as your number two, Alexandra, because that that's it's sticking out. The more I think, thought about it and seeing it again, it stuck out to me a lot more than I thought it would at the beginning of the year. I mean, when I made my top ten before I saw it the second time, it didn't even crack my top ten. So now I'm like, oh crap! If I could change it all, it would mess. <laughs> it may mess my top ten up. Um, my pick would I I'd agree. Uh, Shape of Water, you know, agreeing with the table. I think it's important. I think it's incredible to see a genre film getting nominated. I think dealing with it's universal, despite featuring, you know, this is not a film. I don't think that is it's it's speaking to to being open and accepting people who are in people and things that are different than you and learning to empathize with them and, and love them. And that I think that's more universal than, than boiling it down to one certain group of people. So that in that sense, I think it's very universal and I appreciate that, which makes it more accessible. It'll be like Moonlight. Like you look back like, oh, yeah, that was the best picture of this year. Um, second place. Uh, oh God. Um, Three billboards. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's third place. Uh, third, the third place. Yeah. Correct. Uh, uh, I mean, probably something about those first two billboards. Just not quite enough. It's the <laughs> third one that really sets it all. God, probably get out for the second one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Probably get out. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's it's like a three way tie between Call Me by Your Name, That's Get right. so Out, you, Lady Bird, you... and even you know what? I even throw Phantom Threat, and I like the post a lot too. So it's it's like uh, yeah. It, yeah. It's all good. It's it's a great world that we're living in right now. As far as Oscar noms, there's obviously plenty of things yeah, wrong a lot with of, the world, but say. but there's it's a great Oscar year when I'd be you know all of us would be very happy uh, when if so many of these ones won Best Picture yeah. we'd all be completely satisfied. Quick acknowledgement of other categories. First and foremost, uh, the Best Original Score we did skip over that one. That's because if you were a podcast subscriber, you already have a special episode of soundtrack dedicated to the entire best original score category alexandra you have anything you'd like to say about that yeah um hold on to your butts because you're gonna hear from some nominees we haven't covered in this little oscar reactions bit um maybe some of them are about wars in the stars i don't know Uh, galaxy far far away perhaps (laughs) so yeah so definitely tune into that it was a blast discussing it with you guys and uh caleb might actually speak positively about three billboards i don't know and i might <laughs> we'll i see we'll i see. might speak more positively about three billboards than i do, do star wars, wars. Oh, actually God. yeah Shit. so definitely tune in uh out. yeah if you want to hear anything about that i'm tuning out oh rude uh so again if you if you do want to get more of that extra awesome content sent straight to your iphone or android device or whatever you means you may be listening make sure to um, sorry subscribe to us on apple podcast google play or any podcast app of your choice categories we didn't talk about today very quickly rapid fire best documentary feature best documentary short 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 subject best live action short film best foreign language film Film editing, sound editing, sound mixing, production design, original song, makeup and hair. I only have one thing. No shape of water, makeup and hair, question mark. Uh, Costume design and visual effects. So, yeah. There's a lot of things we didn't talk about and that are all equally impressive. There's there's some of that visual effects category. Tough competition this year. Uh, But good luck. All I have to say about special effects is good luck beating the Holdo Maneuver visual effects. If they they don't play that clip, if they don't play that clip, what's the point? They're doing it wrong. Yeah. 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 Uh, All right. Anything else you guys would like to add about the 2018 Oscar nominations tonight, guys? Go Oscars. (laughs) Being all progressive and shit. I like <laughs> the yes. o- hey the Oscars in which you know the female director actually gets nominated for best director for her movie that was actually nominated for best picture. Okay. What? This is amazing. I love it. I can't believe this is happening, guys. Give Greta Gerwig everything. Just give her give her all the money. Give guys, her all the movies. She's amazing. I, God. Okay, well, that wraps up our show. Go Greta Gerwig. That's what I'm hearing. Uh, before we close out, Alexandra Bohannon, where can people keep up with you online if they want to wait to, if they can't wait to hear what you say about things? If you can't wait to hear what I say about things, uh, find me on uh, Twitter at Alex V. Brohannon, B R O H A N N O N. You can find me at that same handle on Instagram as well. Laurent Chapman. If you want to talk to me, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter under my name. If you want to follow my film that I directed last this time last year, that is that is that is completed. That is completed now. Mostly, almost, almost. It's picture lock. It's picture lock. It's picture lock. Completed asterisks. Ninety-seven percent done. Um, you can follow that on Facebook.com/slash/youpeoplemovie. 
Zachary Burns. Uh, if you guys want to talk to me, uh, good luck. But Give them your address. Uh, yeah, Give them your yeah. Home address. I'll just I'll come by. Um, no, I am on Twitter and Instagram at Left Eye Burns. All right, everyone. Uh, and of course, you can always find me on Twitter at C Masters Talk. That's letter C Masters Talk. Uh, or on uh, Letterboxd uh, at C Masters 91. And uh, please follow all of our awesome social medias on The Cinematropolis on Twitter at The Cinematrop and Instagram at The Cinematrop or like us on Facebook.com forward slash The Cinematropolis. Thanks so much for joining us. Next month, The Cinematic Schematic, we will be discussing Twisted Romance and all of our segments. And we might even have uh, some standalone specials dedicated to our official oscar predictions oh and we also did this really cool panel at tower theater if you're a subscriber you'll have that sometime later this week so please make sure to tune in talking about paul thomas anderson's there will be blood but don't hit pause coming up next alexandra bohannon will will talk about film scores from several of her favorite prestige films stick around to hear her melodic tunes the cinematropolis.com and planet thunder productions welcome to soundtrack a curated sound analysis segment on the cinematic schematic my name is alexander bohannon and you like me you really like me this month folks we're doing prestige films on soundtrack as you can hear from my bravo really, th- thank bravo, you. Oh, bravo. Thank you. oh, yes, oh yes. my gosh you win the best award <laughs> but of course i'm not alone sir can you introduce yourself I just want to thank my adoring fans out there, including my mom, Lynn. Uh, she always, uh, well, she really didn't support me, but anyway, she's my mom. <laughs> and, uh, and and it has enabled me to be on soundtrack with the one and only Alexandra oh, Bohan, who's yes, the yes, real yes, hero yes. of oh, the podcast. Of yes. course. Yes. And this, uh, this silly, silly person next to me is Caleb Masters, the editor-in-chief of The Cinematropolis. This month, folks, in celebration of our favorite uh, film awards shows, we're tackling the old prestige picture on The Cinematropolis. So we've got a lot of talk about today so let's just you know jump right in uh leading us into our show is the track children from 2016's jackie directed by pablo 
Lorraine. Um, it's scored by, drumroll please, our first female composer on soundtrack. What? Yes. First one. Yeah, well, because uh, uh, that's uh, that's the industry, the the film industry. is It's, uh, it's a man's, man's, man's world. Uh, I, I feel like the only composers I know doing film are men. Yeah. I don't think I know a single woman composer. This, I... I, I have to say, like, I was surprised because Micah Lev- Levi, Micah can be a male or female name, so I just assumed Micah was a dude, and Micah's a lady. Micah's a lady, and she has, like, a prog rock band. Micah Levi, somewhat of a prodigy, she's just 30 years old, so just like the rest of the people we've basically covered so far on soundtrack uh she like basically hits it a home run out of the starting gate yeah yeah she's 30 years old scored just two films in total we got we got a few years left alex we got time <laughs> just there's still years. time still time uh so her first film was under the skin and then her second film was jackie and then that one was nominated for an oscar oh great <laughs> i'm very excited for micah she, she the fact that she's a woman in a very extremely male dominant dominated industry when i mean most uh, you know conductors at lo- uh, local symphonic orchestras they're all male so i was able to catch jackie before a wide release at the austin film festival um and i saw it in this beautiful vintage theater in which only enhanced the atmosphere for this very haunting and beautiful film uh the marriage of the strings with the flute and the piano the mellophone and the snare i, I mean there's only a handful of instruments that compose this entire score most of it is strings driven uh and i find that so interesting because most are of our modern pieces like we've got a lot of full symphonic orchestral sound whereas this is very pared down very haunting very small intentionally right, right. um and some of the haunting nature of this this film's soundtrack can be attributed to the concept of dissonance uh dissonance is a musical term it can be used in terms of rhythm and it can also be used in terms of like melody uh and in this instance i am using it in terms of melody but dense dissonance is the concept of whenever you construct a harmony or a melody, um, you need to have the melody resolve. And uh, Caleb and I are both ex-church kids. Um, oh, yes. So whenever you're singing a hymn and you're, you know, you have that ending, you know, note that's in the major key, that's that's whenever that, that resolves and that melody resolves. And whenever a, a dissonant, type of piece of music it doesn't resolve and that's what makes it sound so creepy and haunting and eerie because you and me and you out there we're all psychologically primed and i did some really brief research on you know how our brains are constructed to want to have um consonant rhythms with opposite of dissonant right. to have our brains have these melodies resolve right um so we're craving that to have that resolve and when we don't have it resolve we're like huh. <laughs> Man, no, it's it's like a terrible feeling. You just long for a completion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it actually really highlights this film. It fits with this film really well because JFK, like that was the promised presidency that we never got to to live through. Right? And, and I mean, and, and for her mar- and for Jackie, that's her marriage too. She was promised so much. And Absolutely, she was left with nothing. She had to pick up the pieces. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that you brought up a really great point of how, like, literally the structural composition of these soundtracks can actually really support the text of the film. And I think that you brought up an excellent point that it the the com- 
composition of the score supports what is actually going on on screen, which is, you know, that's what you're really wanting. But whenever you get that in a way that fits so perfectly, it just makes you feel really good whenever you're talking about it or studying about it or thinking about it later. Um, so one thing additionally, real quick that I wanted to mention regarding the soundtrack is uh, so the ch- track children, which we heard at the top of the show, that is used as a motif throughout the rest of the soundtrack. And I think that's used to an effect. Um, you hear this one major motif and, and, and that's it. And you're, you kind of feel a little lonely because you only hear this one major theme and it's manipulated in all co- sorts of different ways. Um, but whenever you only have one additional uh, theme thrown on top of that, it, it makes you really pay attention to the other theme. It's like whenever you have only two major themes, you're like, oh, wow, these are very important motifs trying to be good across in this music. So the first track is called Intro. Um, it has a really uncanny resemblance to a real-world uh, object, um, which I would liken this track, as strange as it sounds, to an air raid siren. Air raid siren. But in a good way. An air raid siren in a good way. Because basically, it, it instead of, you know, like an air raid siren, uh, the air raid siren uh, goes up the scale, you know, and it kind right. of levels off at the top there constantly, really loudly. Um, for, but, for minutes. For minutes, hours, it feels. Uh, but a uh, this intro t- track from Jackie, it, it does the opposite. It actually goes down the scale, but it does it in... It's a it's a way that I can't fully quite describe to you, but so you're gonna listen to it instead. So here's a quick clip from intro Micah Le- Levi's uh, first track from the Jackie soundtrack 2016. So now you've listened to that, and now I'm going to do something a little strange. Here is a tiny clip from a vintage Air Raid Siren circa World War II, uh, courtesy of the United Kingdom government. Make sure to get down to your shelters, everyone. (laughs) Oklahoma, uh, just some uh, inside baseball. Caleb and I live in Oklahoma City. Every Saturday, uh, they test the tornado sirens, which are air raid sirens, every Saturday for, I don't know, 10 minutes at a time. So we hear this tone all, all the, the time. time. Uh, so it's an interesting choice. And this, I don't know how intentional it was for Micah Levi to compose this in her soundtrack, but if I'm just putting my film analysis hat on for a second, I think it's an interesting homage to the concept of an alarm. Your opening track about the death of a president that was so supposed to be kind of like your Moses leading us into the promised land. Mm. It sounds like an air raid siren. Well, you're, I mean, that's kind of like, it's a huge warning signal. And I think that's so interesting. 
no idea how intentional it is, but you know, whenever you're doing film analysis, then you know, if the author's intent really doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, but Death yeah. of the author, man. Death of the author. Yeah, exactly. Well, Caleb, we're going to be leaving uh, Micah, Levi, and the Jackie soundtrack for now. Uh, but don't worry. I feel like in the future, we've got a female-centric episode of Soundtrack coming along. Um, oh, yes. And I'm sure we're going to st- discuss her again in the future. Oh, yes. Um, one thing that I really did want to mention, not inherently musically related, but still really important, especially in film studies, is the whole concept of the prestige picture and the prestige film. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So in selecting the films uh, for this episode of Soundtrack, I I struggled with the concept of prestige picture uh, for a really long time because, you know, you go back to the past and you think about, oh, well... You're like, okay, Casablanca. Well, that's more of a classic than a prestige picture. I'm like, well, then what composes, what makes a prestige picture a prestige picture and not See, a or, classic? Or, or was it a prestige picture picture at, at the, the time. time? And then it's it's now become a classic because we've had so much, you know, so much space between that film coming out and now. Right. Um, so one definition I found: a prestige picture is a film produced to bolster the film studio's perceived artistic integrity Mm. rather than to turn a large profit. Mm. The studio may be even expecting to lose money. Wow. Interesting. Tax write-offs. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Tax write-offs. Well, okay. For, you know, applying that to Jackie, I feel like that solely, yeah, solely falls within that framework. Yes. Um, Basically anything produced by A24. Yes. Solely within that framework. Prestige films. Prestige films. Um, You know, they're definitely done, um, not necessarily to bolster the film studio's personal artistic integrity but to tell a story that may be a little more uncommon but still even after reading that i I still feel something is lacking about that definition i don't i don't know if you how you feel about that uh i think it gets most of the way there most of the way exactly yeah Yeah, i still feel like there's something to do with like the how the way the films are marketed Uh and hyped and presented which again does tie into this definition for sure Uh, i mean if the goal of a prestige film is to prove your artistic integrity i think the one thing this thing is lacking is the marketing piece of it which i know know it sounds silly but but like the marketing is what makes it feel like a special like oh this is this is high art. This is the yeah. film that wins an Oscar, you know? Yeah. Uh, this is the, like, so, and I, I don't think that definition quite, it almost gets there, but it leaves out that piece about the hype that comes up, surrounds the movie. Dude, yeah. I mean, looking at 2017, 2018, I mean, you had the the, the, the post, which is like, in my opinion, one of the, it's like, that that is a prestige fit picture because it's like, oh, okay, we get all these A-list actors to play the best versions of themselves. We brought Steven Spielberg on to make a, a film that's, very much speaking to the time we're in that feels like a, a political you know somewhat political i guess uh so yeah definitely a prestige film right but a lot of that isn't it's not just the studio banking on that to uh, not just banking on that movie to prove artistic integrity it's the way it's hyped like oh this is an important film mm, this is like yeah. we've got to mm-hmm. see it because it's important and it's going to win oscars and it's not just important because the oscars going to recognize it but it's important because it's saying something we need to hear right now or at least again that's kind of the buzz around around the film i, w- I would say yeah no i i totally agree with that like the that buzz that's something like it's really hard to kind of describe in just like a very you know diction 
dictionary driven definition. Um, yeah. And I think something that I wanted to mention that totally falls within what you were saying is one part of that marketing piece is also the panache of the director themselves. Um, It's not just the concept of prestige, meaning, oh, this movie is important. It's more of this director is important and they're making this movie. So that ergo, that movie is important. Right. Um, So even if the studios are banking on the film to go belly up, that picture can then still go like regardless of what the studio's interpretation of the future will be that picture may still go on to be outrageously successful um but even because they're quote unquote taking a risk it's still considered prestige even if it makes in 600 million dollars right yeah you know yeah and and i think another piece too that i want to i mean kind of taking that definition to the next step is prestige films are are part of the narrative of the studio it's the it's the narrative the studio is trying to tell about itself um you know like they're the underdog or um they've got something to say this year or you know there's all sorts of different i think i think there's all sorts of different tactics that are used in the marketing and presentation and the gamble knowing they're okay to lose the money if they know it's going to reinforce their brand Mm, and reinforce how they're perceived and reinforce the thing the story they are telling uh, about themselves like Mm. when you go to the about page on their website you know yeah yeah it's like oh this this studio successfully did you know all these movies and you're like wow you know just like a24 like that's like whenever i think of uh, an, an art house distributor or quote unquote studio right. that's that's the brand i associate right. with because that is that's their niche right. you know that's what you were saying like you go on their about page and that's the, all the movies they've right. ever done right you know? right right and and like it's like well yeah this movie didn't make a lot of money but man it got 13 awards it's got all these golden globe nominations and dga nominations you know like and like that that's that's that kind of buzz and hype that like just that, that comes up around these films films that makes them a lot bigger i mean even big like makes the prestige is bigger than the actual film itself exactly Mm, yeah yeah uh so i thought this is so interesting when i was looking up some information about one of our uh one of our soundtracks we're going to talk later in the show this quote was said about a prestige picture that we're going to cover and the quote goes as follows from the director the studios were like, ooh, okay, a three-hour romantic epic. Sure, that's just what we want. Is there a little bit of Terminator in that? Or any Harrier Jets shootouts or car chases? And then I said, no, no, it's not like that. The studio was dubious about the commercial prospects of the film, but hoping for a long-term relationship with me, they gave me a green light. I mean, they got Avatar out of that eventually. Yeah, right? yeah. So. <laughs> Spoilers, Caleb. You already know what movie I'm going to talk well, about. I mean, <laughs> I mean it's the so Terminator obvious. reference made it, made it a little pointed, but sure. Uh, yeah, but uh, but, but no, 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 it's like it's about it's like bolstering. Again, I would say that's how films like again. I keep using the post because I think it's one of the big ones this year. But it's how films like it's how, that's how Steven Spielberg can come out of nowhere when he's actually technically working on another film and say, "Hey, I want to make this film," and they're like, "Oh God, well, it's Steven Spielberg, one of the biggest guys in the business, so we got to work with this guy." Like, exactly. We, we, we want to be on his good side. So, yeah, give him the money. Give him whatever he wants to make yeah. this movie done because I know ultimately at the end of the day, that relationship is going to benefit them more than their – it's going to benefit more than, than more than losing a little bit of money at the box office. Exactly. 
Um, so here, here's another picture that the two, the studios totally took a risk on because uh, there's a little bit of confidence of that this film was ever going to actually get finished. Um, also the fact that the director wasn't physically fit enough to direct this film in these conditions. And I'm sure if you know movies, you probably know what movie you're talking about, but that's okay because you're going to have to pretend like you don't. Uh, so here we go. We're going to be listening to the introductory track from 19. 1979's Apocalypse Now. Also, please do yourself a favor. Wear headphones. Get the full effect of this next piece because we're going to talk about it. So that's your homework for right now is you need to wear headphones. Pause this freaking podcast. Put on headphones if you're not already wearing them. you're listening to the title track intro or opening from 1979's uh, Francis Ford Coppola's masterpiece Apocalypse Now and of course that's also Jim Morrison from The Doors uh, singing his song The End Uh, but I wanted to highlight the composition of the sound design at the very beginning of this track not in like the literal the end track composed by the doors um that's very much a part of this film's sound design and kind of the aesthetic that gets carried throughout the rest of this motion picture um there's a lot of really interesting good stuff about apocalypse now that could fill books and books and i'm sure it has it's already filled documentaries at least uh plural probably uh about apocalypse now one of the definitive war movies absolutely of a generation and definitely um it really epitomizes so much about a certain era of not just american history but also american cinema so it's able to tell the story of a of like a very Amer- a slice of America's self during a specific time and also it's able to tell us st- uh, an amazing story and do things that cinema has never seen before <laughs> um, so that's one of the things that has never been seen before not you know that it's not happened before but the stereo nature of the first track at the time in 1979 stereo is not something done on accident (laughs) you know uh so the sound designer uh walter merch he had problems trying to make this a stereo soundtrack and i mean literally the sound design the the track of sound laid with the movie um because at the time sound libraries had no stereo recordings of weapons or ambient noise it was all just mono recordings of all of these uh, pieces of music or or these uh, sound effects. 
Uh, and of course, so also, as I referenced earlier, uh, the Philippines, uh, where they shot Apocalypse, now it was such a hard shoot, and the crew was so small and lacked the time. They couldn't just do uh, wild tracks or wild art, you know, where you get, what well, room tone or jungle tone, you're holding up your boom, and you just let the jungle happen or whatever. Right. So they don't do that either. So Merch and his crew had to fabricate a lot of the mood of the jungle on the soundtrack. Um, which uh, helped make the tone of the film what it is today. And I just have to highlight this further with another uh, piece of music also with some sound design on it uh, from the soundtrack. Um, because one of the more interesting things about this film is actually who composed the score. Because if you haven't noticed, I haven't said who composed the score. Who composed the score? I can't. I, I, I will tell you right after we come back from listening from track two called The Delta Apocalypse Now 1979. Right, Caleb, what are your thoughts specifically on this track too called Delta? The Delta. I, I love this uh I, I love this sound actually. It's really fascinating. 
specifically for the context of being a war movie, because this actually sounds like something way more out of Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. Uh, it even reminds me vaguely of Nausicaa, uh, the, the Wind Valley, something we, we looked at a couple of months ago. Um, just the way it incorporates the electronics with the string sounds, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So Coppola is so talking about who actually composed this film. Uh, so Coppola was seeking a composer that would do an electronic score uh, from the very early stages of seeking out someone to score this film. So the first person he went to was Asayo Tomita, who was the Japanese composer, uh, to compose this score. Um, he liked his electronic adaptation of a different film that he had seen before, um, and but that fell through. And then he had this film entirely scored by a composer named David Shire. Um, It has an entire different score written to this movie. Apocalypse Now has two scores. The one that's actually like played with the film. Right. But then there's a whole other score that because of Coppola and Shire had a falling out, the guy finished it. It just was never used. Wow. Yeah. So another entirely electronic score was made for this movie. So was this part of the... The, the the score from the film or was this the unused score no the, the what i gave you was actually the score as part of the score of the film um so actually literally this month Jan- like january 2018 david shire discussed his original score with npr wow. on all things considered they actually p- have published his full unused score now wow so um yeah i'm gonna drop that link in the show notes it's super interesting it's very timely it just literally happened this month yeah. that this guy came, you know, he's like, yeah, I'm going to, well, I'm sure it's obviously been in the works for a while, but the fact that it is published, his entirely unused score. I mean, the, the Apocalypse Now is just such a fat, the production of this film is so fascinating and, and everything from the pre-production to the battles that Coppola had to, to have with the studio yeah. all through, throughout the entire process. Exactly. Like, the his health, like there's just miles to unpack here and like just the soundtrack portion is uh just a small piece of it but here is another interesting part of this film this sound track slash score was actually arranged by coppola himself and his father carmine so they actually composed the soundtrack of this Bates movie. Bates for Coppola just does everything, doesn't he? Yes. He does it all. Yeah, so uh, they did the, obviously, the music, and then there's also that narration track, so that was also done as well. But the fact that Written they... by Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah. Directed by Francis Coppola. Produced by Francis yeah. Ford Coppola. Uh, assistant to the caterer, Francis Ford Coppola. God, uh, music arrangements. Uh, yeah. Personal assistant to... to Francis Ford Coppola. Francis Ford Coppola. <laughs> yeah, so it, I found that so utterly fascinating with the fact that um, he just kept... He ran out of time. He had this falling out with this other composer, so he and his father just did it themselves. Yeah, man, and it he works. wants it done right. Yeah, and it works, and it's done with this, comp- this uh, stereo sound, and it totally reinforces the disorienting and terrifying nature of war, especially of the conflict in Vietnam, which was such a divisive time in American history. Um, you know, 
well, divisive from other reasons than what we have now, but certainly in terms of the war and like people actually starting to question the nature of war and if we um, as America need to be so interventionalist in our overseas policy. Right. Uh, Yeah, no, no. I think this is not very long after. This is still in the 70s, actually, 79. So this is still... I mean, they haven't even been out of uh, Vietnam for a decade yet. Yeah, fresh. <laughs> I mean, so they're still processing how they feel. I mean, the, the, the country and the culture is still pr- very much for processing how they feel about it. And, <laughs> I mean, we're sitting here, what, uh, 17 years after 9-11, and we're still trying to figure it out. So, you know, it takes some time. Absolutely. Um, the it's a, it's a very unconventional soundtrack, but it actually works so well to its advantage um i i have listened to shire's original soundtrack and it does like it does a lot of electronica caleb was also discussing uh previously that he got a little bit of like a nausicaa feel from some of it uh too and i'd say like there's a lot of like tonal similarities between you know questioning natures of war <laughs> kind of stuff right between those two films um it, it's gonna it's like that weird ambient it's the ambient ambi- noise yeah. where it's like you're using like real no- noise to like compose with which right. i find it was, very interesting it's, it's a really interesting m- reflective mood i think is mm-hmm. the similarity I see there. absolutely um but we would be totally uh doing you the listener disservice if we did not bring up a very famous piece of music used in this film not composed by francis ford coppola but by what oh, but, Out, outrage. <laughs> how I mean, could he? he, he how could he? Done it. He did it all. Yeah. Uh, composed by another equally prolific human being. Um, well, here you have it, uh, ladies and gentlemen. I don't think it needs any other introduction. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Prolific film scoring. Uh, David Bowie. Just no. Valkyries by Wagner, <laughs> classical composer. And one thing interesting about specifically this piece, it is used diegetically within the film. So it's not just things to enhance the mood accompanied that only we, the audience in the, you know, the black box, uh, we experience uh, through the yeah, magic of cinema. No, people in those helicopters, the 
poor Vietnamese citizens on the ground uh, were all hearing uh, Ride of the Valkyries um, as it was played uh, on a t- cassette reel, a tape reel, um, through a helicopter as they're bombing uh, Vietnam. And they are using this uh, for like a psychological warfare effect, effect um, to uh, put terror in the hearts of the men and women and children on the ground, but also to bolster their own soldiers. Right. Wow. <laughs> Just what an, how do you, it, it's, it's intense. It's beautiful. I mean, it's an exquisite piece of music. Um, and it, I, I mean, it was leverage extremely well. Yeah. yeah extremely pairing. And I do think that there's an association here with, with this film, uh, th- this piece, with this film because I mean uh, I, I think uh, Zack Snyder's Watchmen which is you know that, that's a movie a lot of people have seen not a lot of people necessarily like but it, it, it is a film that it, f- it features prominently a portion in Vietnam and it uses that piece for Boom. when they're doing exactly what you're talking about right, right there so there's definitely uh, a, a, a really it has, holds a special place in pop culture I yeah say. I, I'd say I mean and of course um, we've we hear uh, Wagner from you know Bugs Bunny in uh, that that famous uh, uh, opera episode uh, where he's with Elmer Fudd and, and and the whole idea that you know the concept of Valkyries and uh, Wagner have really um, gone through our pop culture so well that we have a mental automatic association that is probably shared by the individual the fictional individuals in the film. Um, and we all are having kind of the shared experience across this one piece of music and across years and years and years in fiction and nonfiction. It's, it's, it's awesome. Uh, man. Wow. Apocalypse now is, is a, a rabbit hole that I fell down and hey, <laughs> I it's didn't a great, expect to get a, out of. It's a great rabbit. I don't think you're out of it yet, Alex. I no. think you're still there. <laughs> I'm still there. I- so, uh, and also we would be remiss in not mentioning uh, how Prestige Apocalypse Now went on to be after getting a kind of weird mixed critical reception after initial release. It won Best Sound of the Academy Awards uh, in, in the 52nd Academy Awards. It got Best Cinematography. Um, but it was also nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor in Supporting Role, Best Writing, Best Art Direction, Best Film Editing as well. So that's a solid amount. Uh, of noms and then it also won the palm d'or <laughs> uh, you know like the most important NBD. win you know no big deal it was it only got like the best award ever for movies uh, around the world and Fra- set francis ford coppola up for years and years of awesome movies yeah um and also interestingly enough so not for the academy awards but the baftas the B- british academy film awards carmine coppola and francis ford coppola that's where they were nominated for best score best original music so they were both so francis ford coppola uh was also nominated for uh best director but also for best score and when was the last time you've heard that said ever so anyway i we're gonna be leaving apocalypse now um to leave the apocalypse behind the apocalypse behind um we're gonna be leaving port we're gonna be setting sail oh my god we're gonna be uh, going on a journey in which our hearts will go on. <laughs> I'm king of the world! Setting sail with 1997's masterpiece that some people on film Twitter have still not gotten over Titanic. <laughs>
Caleb, uh, did you set sail in your heart just now with me? I'm king of the world! Yes! <laughs> Let's go ahead and leave our homes behind and cross the Atlantic Ocean. I have a taste of adventure. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I, I can't do a lot of Titanic quotes because it was only this past year that I've seen it for the first time. The first the time? The first time. How did you make it? Like, was it the 20th anniversary? Yes, it was the 20th, was it the 20th? Was the 20th oh, anniversary. <laughs> We're so old. Oh, my God. What happened to us? So um, this past year, I saw Titanic for the first time. First time as an adult woman in Dolby uh, where I I mean, I didn't judge myself because it's it's been a while since the Titanic hate has happened. It still happens, but it's not as bad. Well, hey, It's just like anything that happens on film Twitter. Everyone loves it. And then retroactively, after everyone, about a couple months, everyone it swings. decides it swings back and they decide to hate it. And then after a couple of years, people, yeah. people will come back around. But except say, it's been like 20 years and Twitter wasn't a thing for a lot of that time. Yeah, well, that's just. Um, and it's it's the, the the mark of James Cameron's lasting legacy of this almost three hour it's honestly romantic pretty, epic. Romantic epic it is, and there was a very similar reaction to Avatar. But I digress. I think yes. Titanic's a better movie. But absolutely. So. Um, so scoring this piece of the prolific James Horner. Yes. My goodness, and it's so sad. We lost him so early. So early. He died in an airplane accident. Yep. That that blows my mind. I mean, what a travesty. The man who scored Wrath of Khan. They couldn't afford Jerry Goldsmith, the original Star Trek composer. So they, if they were able to do uh, James Horner instead. But then, hilariously, so Horner's career after Wrath of Khan exploded. And so by oh, yeah. the time they got back to uh, having Meyer directing The Undiscovered Country, they couldn't afford Horner or Jerry Goldsmith. Oh, no. <laughs> so uh, it's just really funny. And the man has had an incredible career. I mean, just looking at that Wikipedia page, just like any any film you associate with perhaps your childhood if you're of a certain age um they they were all scored by this man and also he's done some prolific films i mean he did titanic he's done avatar these are huge huge i mean i mean mean, 1997 200 million dollar motion picture i didn't look it up for inflation which i usually do but it's gonna be a lot (laughs) probably massive yeah i I mean the most expensive motion picture at its time in history 1997 uh titanic what else can you say about this motion picture the score has gone on to live in with its legacy and in infamy i mean it has some of the most iconic constructions in film music today. I mean, even with uh, that when, song. Whenever, leaving, you, whenever you hear songs from Titanic, you know exactly what you're listening absolutely. to. And you know, if I mean, even for someone like me, the uninitiated, who hasn't, you know, watched this movie a whole lot throughout her life. I mean, I I can hear in the music that that's the sound of a grand ship leaving port. Everyone's so excited because they, you know, we in the audience are experiencing this intense, tragic, dramatic irony of the fact that we know all of these people are going to die, but everyone is so, so excited happy. and happy. And it, and to the point where you almost forget that that's where the movie is going to end. The movie is long enough that you get, 
you know, you get so wrapped up in Rose and Jack's story that you kind of forget that it's going to end right. in tragedy yes. no, um, totally. due well, to incompetence. Due to blatant incompetence. But, you know, here's the thing. Like, it's it's really interesting because not only do you get so into their story, you kind of forget that it's about the historical events of the Titanic. But also, uh, you know, Jack and Rose are not historical character or historical figures. So, like, you, you like you are on that ride where you don't know what's going to happen to them. Exactly. Even, we, even if you, you know, that, that, that thought. Even though, you know, we know old Rose is on that ship, so we know she She's made it. Be okay. You know, but. Uh, what about Jack? But what about Jack? Hey, what about uh, Billy Zane? I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> what about what about Billy Zane? I what think, about Billy Zane's career? I think his career might have struck an iceberg. <laughs> wow. Well. Um, so how can you not listen to that track and be uplifted? And also, how can you not listen to the track entitled Death of the Titanic, which Jeez. is number 10 on the score? Wow. Uh, spoilers. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> spoilers for this historical event that we based a movie on. You know, we have this uplifting uh, piece of music, uh, you know, kind of breaking the metaphorical champagne bottle on the whole of the ship. We also have the death of the Titanic, which in itself is a moving and emotionally tense track like uh, me in my chair watching this as a is a grown-ass woman i'm you know everyone's going to die but at the same time it's like how were they able to manipulate us the audience to make us still feel such tension during the moments where jack and rose are sprinting throughout the cabins of the ship and they're trying to get out from the belly of the ship and then after jack is all handcuffed and everything so it's so interesting to me that they not only are we using the pacing of the film and the the editing and of course you know Cameron's immaculate directing but we're also using Horner's incredible score to drive some of this tension as we know that this ship is crumbling into this frigid water um and wow i i just what how many tense moments you experience during that sequence of the death of the titanic so here we go we're just gonna we're just going to listen and all share a moment with uh james horner's 1997 titanic with the death of the titanic
Wow, Caleb. The Titanic sank with that number. We didn't even listen to the whole thing, but I, I mean, I feel like my heart, and as well as you know, the heart of the ocean is at the bottom of it's, the ocean. It sunk all the way. Yeah, just absolutely. Like the Titanic. I mean, how do you feel about? I mean, so Horner is using the his entire orchestral volume at its disposal i mean unlike jackie uh from from michael levi she i mean she uses a very pared down simplistic and it right. and it works for it's it like minimalist but, yeah yeah minimalist absolutely but this this is just like this is full like pedal to the oh, metal yeah. going off the cliff this is this is james cameron this is james cameron but also translated to music yes totally um and talk about a team of individuals that worked obviously so well together to maintain uh the the theme and tone and how they want this movie to unfold i mean this piece these all of these pieces of music are exquisitely beautiful haunting and yet still drive the action like it's a runaway car right no totally i i I like it because there's a lot of different moods conveyed in that in that piece uh because you've got like the anxiety the fear but then it gets exciting and then all of a sudden your adrenaline kicks in and you get the rush and then uh you know then you have those little notes uh where where they kind of uh capture the motifs from the you know my heart will go on which we all know absolutely Uh, they he kind of incorporates them i love it when when oh yeah that's great yeah Uh, so yeah i think i think it's really well and it highlights just all of the emotions and that that you feel in the second half of that movie i think are very very present yeah, it's it's absolutely incredible uh, what they were able to do um, with specifically that track. I just keep thinking of the captain who's like, "Oh my gosh, he just gave up!" Oh my gosh, it's sad. Yeah, it's absolutely it's absolutely phenomenal. Um, so one additional thing you can't talk about Titanic, you can't talk about James Cameron, you can't talk about. Horner without talking about Celine Dion's Oh yes. My Heart Will Go On. Um wow, what a piece of music to end this film with. Uh so uh so Horner wrote the song My Heart Will Go On. He wrote it in secret because Cameron originally d- he didn't want any songs with literal singing in the film. Um and so Celine De- Dion re- agreed to record just a demo uh for Cameron, um, and then absolutely, he presented him, uh, Horner presented Cameron with the demo of Celine Dion. And I'm fairly sure, uh, the, uh, in recording the demo, um, I'm almost a hundred percent that Celine Dion literally did one take. That was that Good take. Night. She sang that song and that's the song she sang it once, and that's what we heard. Was that one? Wow! Yeah, absolutely. Um, so she, uh, and that's what the internet has uh, fairly confirmed it. Although I wasn't able to see it. Celine Dion, one take, my heart will go on. But I did find this article um, that they recorded this one demo, and Horner said we might not have to do it again. And then you know they they, they, I, they, they didn't. didn't. Wow! Wow! That is a that's, that is a Hollywood story right there. Absolutely. Right. Uh, you know, I think that's interesting. It, it goes to show one how great James Horner is uh, because to change James Cameron's mind, he's uh, 
This is a challenge. Absolutely. Uh, this is a quote from Dion from a Billboard article about the 20th anniversary of the song My Heart Will Go On. I didn't think that James Cameron was going to buy this thing, the song. James, he didn't want to have a song in the movie. He said, my movie is big enough. I don't need something bigger. I don't need any singer. And I don't blame him. But Horner said to him, I'm not going to tell you who sang the song. Just give me a favor and please listen to it. And so Horner begs Cameron to listen to My Heart Will Go On. He listens to it a few times and then he agrees to have it as that edit. It's amazing. Yeah, that ending credit. The, you know, the vocal version in that ending credits song. But absolutely, it's just, it's uh, it's so incredible to think about how, the, how iconic this song is and how, uh, of course, it became instantly lampooned forever. Again, I mean, it like, still like, is like kind Titanic, of to this day. You know? And just, again, like Titanic. But you cannot deny the impact of the song and also just the motifs. Not, you know, necessarily Celine Dion, who basically, she did one demo take of this song and it basically has come, become her career for the past right. 20 years. It's a one, one hit wonder. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so... The fact that they together made this film bigger because of the motif set in place with My Heart Will Go On and then carried out with that actual song. So we're going to listen to it. Uh, Spoilers. Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> but here we go. This is The Dream or and My Heart Will Go On, James Horner, 1997, and Titanic. on behalf of James Cameron and Horner James Horner James, the James the double J team James Gross. <laughs> yeah take that with you in your heart this movie I mean Titanic it's it's such a special piece of cinema that nothing has happened I mean I mean I guess the closest thing that's happened since is epic and big is Avatar also done by James Cameron and James Horner but it's just incredible to think that such a film has had an enduring legacy and I, I feel like well definitely Apocalypse Now has had that kind of legacy and only time will tell if Jackie will uh, experience the same amount of resurgence um, 
in uh, its yeah. prestigiousness. I think and I think that's a great point, Alex, because the, the films that you've chosen today are actually all very timeless. I would even say Jackie has a lot of very timeless themes. I don't, you know, I don't think it ever had quite the popularity of these other two. So it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see how it holds up there. But I would say the type of story it's telling is absolutely timeless. And that's the thing about Titanic; people can thrash it all day long. But at the end of the day, like 100 years from now, we're looking back on films. We're still going to see Titanic, and it's still going to be really good. Yeah, and I mean. Even if you disagree with the Academy on a lot of stuff, and that's me every year, I mean, along with any other person that actually cares about movies, I mean, the fact that when a movie takes 14 awards with them, like, you're going to pay attention to that year, (laughs) and then you're going to be like, huh, maybe that movie was special, maybe at least... You know, the, not necessarily the fact that it won this award or this award or this award, but the fact that some, all of these people from across the entire film industry with all these different vocations that come together to make this movie, it was exemplary in all of those categories. Right. Um, I think that's something to take note of. Uh, I mean, a lot of undeserving films, uh, you know, get a bunch of Oscar nods and and wins. But, um, you know, time will tell on those movies. But I feel like time is already told on Titanic. And the fact that I was able to watch it in a theater this past year. uh, (laughs) This was was the dark beginning of Leo's journey to winning an Oscar. Yeah. This really was. It marked uh, it marked his beginning to Oscarhood, um, which finally has concluded. Um, but thank you all so much for taking a time out of your day to listen to soundtrack and enjoy some prestige pictures and and be reassured that it's okay. It's okay to like stuff that gets nominated for awards. I mean, if you like it, that's awesome. Um, but also note, I mean, the awards and at their court, they do try to indicate something, maybe of an exemplary nature. I mean, frequently our big Best Picture nominee isn't the one that gets remembered across, remembered across year to year. Yeah, um, the artist. What? What movie? No, Alex, and this is a great pick, and uh, I, I would agree that uh, Titanic was deserving and has absolutely stood the test of time. And uh, I think, uh, you know, heading into prestige season this year, we have a lot to look forward to. I think we've got a lot of very timely and timeless films all uh, all in the running this year. Absolutely. Well, where can you find us? Of course, you can find me on Twitter at Alex V. Brohannon, B-R-O-H-A-N-N-O-N. You can find me also at the same handle on a Instagram. I've also started a coffee, which is kind of like a Patreon, but not where you can just like... If you think I'm cool, you can ship me some money. I like that because I'm currently making minimum wage. So you can also find me at coffee. Uh, it's ko com forward slash brohannon, B-R-O-H-A-N-N-O-N. Um, Caleb. Where can we find you? Well, if you want to buy Alexandra a coffee, so she can continue to, produ- <laughs> so she can continue to host uh, and and write such great uh, podcasts here, uh, such a soundtrack, uh, go and support her there. Uh, you can always find me on uh, Twitter at Seamasters Talk. That's letter C Masters Talk. Also, if you want to get some of my quick uh, th- my f- quick thoughts on films, you can always find me on Letterboxd.com at Seamasters91. Sweet action. Well, thank you all so much for listening to this month's soundtrack, everybody. And just like you, our hearts will go on. We'll see you next time.
Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of thecinematropolis.com. This has been a Planet Thunder Productions co-production. The Cinematic Schematic score was produced by Vinnie Hogan, and the program was co-hosted and produced by Caleb Masters. The Oscar reactions were co-hosted by Laurent Chapman, Zachary Burns, and Alexandra Bohannon. Soundtrack was hosted by Alexandra Bohannon with selections from the 2016 film Jackie, 1979's Apocalypse Now, and 1997's Titanic. Follow all of the updates on the Cinematic Schematic by liking the Cinematropolis on Facebook or by following us on Twitter or Instagram at the Cinematropolis, at the Cinematrop. Make sure to subscribe to the Cinematic Schematic on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or any podcast app of your choice, and I hope if you enjoyed the show, you'll go ahead and leave us a review. We'll see you next one. We'll see you next month when we take a look at Twisted Big Screen Romances. <laughs>